Welcome back. This is episode 64 with Evan Jex, a UTKM yellow belt, but more precisely, a Krav Eastern general, a father, and, well, an Australian. <clears throat> We're actually uh, all over the place on this podcast. Uh, I think is it, he had mentioned he wanted to say how he went from martial artist Krav East to father, and we kind of just went with it, like, literally everywhere. We talked about uh, Australia, Krav, politics, philosophies, and, of course, whiskey, because this may have been a Japanese whiskey-fueled episode, to a degree, but we weren't raucous or anything. But the kids did join in periodically, saying even some highs. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions. Since 2013, uh, you can, of course, visit our main website, urbantacticscam.com. If you're ever in Metro Vancouver and we're allowed to ever open up again normally, uh, shame on governments for continuing to act in such unscientific fashions just to cover their own asses. Anyways, you can also check out the blog, utkmblog.com. Now, this website is important because if you want to find the older, less sophisticated episodes of this podcast, you have to go to utkmblog.com and you can click on the podcast and you can just scroll down and get all the episodes because I think we only put 10 episodes at a time on general platforms. And of course... If you enjoy the content of this blog, you can support us. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support us. If you enjoy the ranting ravings of this lunatic... No, I'm kidding. Or am I? You can support us. Now, I've come up with a newer way to do this. Now, you have three options. You can go to utkmblog.com forward slash support us. And you can simply donate whatever money you want so that I can keep giving you awesome content. Of course, I completely understand most people do not do this because you want something. You don't want to give something and get, quote, nothing. So option number two is you can go to utkmu.com. That's utkmu.com. And you can sign up for our curriculum. So you have beginner's curriculum from 15 bucks a month and novice curriculum from 25 bucks a month. And you get access to the curriculum as we teach it at UTKM. And you can practice in, in uh, collaboration with your uh, Krav Maga instructor or simply on the side. No, I do not offer rankings online, so don't ask. That's stupid. Um, you're not stupid, but ranking online is stupid without practical experience in person. So that's option number two. You go to utkmu.com and you can sign up for a paid membership there. And the third option is you go back to utkmblog.com forward slash support us and you can click on affiliate links for Amazon where I have posted products and books that I use or recommend and you of course can get access to that through Amazon. Just click on the links but you have to go to utkmblog.com forward slash support us. Let me make sure that link is actually working now www.utkmblog.com forward slash support us. And let's see what happens. Good, there it goes. Does it go where it's supposed to go? Yes, it should. I don't know why I did that. So, but Or you could just click on support us at the top of utkmblog.com. Anyway, so option one is simply donate. 
Option two, click on the link to UTKMU or just go to UTKM. And option three, you can click on the affiliate links. I have some health and wellness stuff that I take daily or fairly daily, a coffee, uh, true niogen, and a whole bunch of book recommendations that I recommend that you get from Extreme Ownership, from Jocko to Sapiens, from Noah Yuval Harari, Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl, Cuddling of the American Mind, Anti-Fragile, The Parasitic Mind, Enlightenment Now. These are all books I recommend. I'll add stuff there to affiliate links as I need. So if you're planning on buying the items, go to us and support us so that I can continue offer this awesome content. And of course, you can follow us at Urban Tactics KM on Instagram. No, Urban Tactics Kramaga is Instagram. Urban Tactics Cam is Twitter. And of course, Facebook, Urban Tactics Krav Maga. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, though I don't post that often and it's mostly food photos or whatever, then you can follow me at The Pondering Craviste on Instagram. So there you have it. This is brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. So support us. There'll be more later. Um, yes, so this podcast is with Evan Jex, a UTKM student, yellow belt, Craviste, father, and unfortunately, Australian. No, I'm kidding. Enjoy. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. Okay, I am here with Mr. Evan Jex, a on-again, off-again Kim student, martial artist, and Australian. <laughs> so let's start uh, with your overall background in martial arts and Krav Maga. Uh, a lot of my, well, my martial arts experience is almost exclusively Krav Maga. Um, so when I was in my early 20s, I guess, very early 20s, um, I started training with uh, KMG in Perth, in Australia, um, and I was there for a number of years until uh, until I moved, got married, and had kids, and that kind of slows things down. And life, yeah, yeah, life gets in the way. And then, uh, then when we moved uh, to Canada, my wife's Canadian. Uh, that's when I took kind of a, a longer break to try and find a school here. Um, but I guess the. I mean, one of the reasons I started training uh, in Krav Maga was I was looking at doing some sort of form of martial art um, for, I mean, the usual reasons a 20-something guy gets into it, sort mm. of looking to, you know, defend myself, looking to learn how to fight and do cool John Wick-type action movie stuff, you know. The Rise of Machines is coming, the zombie apocalypse will happen <laughs> one day, and, you know, you need to be able Especially to... Especially if you go back to Australia. <laughs> yes. Kangaroo apocalypse. 
Yeah, well, they're, they're nasty, man. They're, they'll, yeah. they'll take you out. Um, yeah, and I found I looked at a couple of different uh, a couple of different gyms and styles and whatnot, and I gravitated towards Krav Maga mostly because it seemed to me to be more updated and more relevant than a lot of the other martial arts, at least in Perth. I mean, yeah. Australia's a long way from anywhere, and uh, <laughs> Perth's a long way from anywhere in Australia. That's why they sent all the criminals there back in the day. <laughs> yes, yes, lots of room, lots of nothing for them to to roam around in. Um, yeah, and a lot of it was, as uh, kind of you, you describe, a lot of McDojos um, yeah. that don't focus so much on actual fighting as much as they do, let's learn this kata, let's, yeah. you know, pay your fees, come here for a number of time, and then, you know, we'll give you a belt, and then we'll give you another one. Yeah. And the my lead instructor at the time uh, was, uh, he was one of the first people in Australia to be... Uh, uh, graded as an instructor. Um, now, is that a truth or is that what he says? Because people do that all the time. Not, and I'm not saying he's not. I'm just uh... Uh, given <laughs> given his age and given the things he talked about, just casually in class. Yeah. I would assume it's pretty close to yeah, accurate. Yeah. Um, this and when you say instructor, you mean under KMG specifically? Ah, uh, yes, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he he was great because he had, he had a lot of uh, a lot of experience. He was an instructor for the civilian, the law enforcement, and the military uh, mm. branch of Krav Maga. So he used to kind of get bored and just throw stuff in there from time to time, depending yeah. on the, the group we had training. And it'd sort of be like, you'd be doing something, and then, all right, stop, everyone. So I was training with this military group in Thailand one day, and we were yeah. doing this, and we were doing that, and, and this happened, and then he kind of go into that. So I ended up learning a lot of kind of little bits here and there yeah. that weren't strictly a part of, of my syllabus. Yeah. Now, with that being said, KMG being one of the older, larger organizations, at some point you can learn anything from them. It'll just be within or without their syllabus because they have instructors, you know, from all over the world. Yeah, true. Yeah. Now, I wonder, like, because if I go into a school in, in America, for example, and I start asking them about history of Krav Maga, other organizations, uh, people are clueless. Now, KMG is one of the better organizations, I would say. Did they, when you were there in Australia, did he talk about other organizations or was it one of those like KMG only? Uh, no, it was, it was actually, I think it was IKMF when we started. Yeah. And then they split. became yeah. KMG. So I guess that was when the split happened. 2010 KMG formed. Yeah. Yeah. So it would have been about then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then the, the split then happened Yeah. and our school, well, I guess my instructor decided to go the KMG route yeah. um, as opposed to the, the IKMF As did route. most of the, I would say most of the popular and quote better instructors left to go to KMG. Now the politics. So for those who don't know in 96, uh, Emmy Lichtenfeld basically authorized the younger generation to go create IKMF um, because there's a bit of politics. It's very gray what actually happened. A lot of he said, she said, and uh, the IKMA or a variation of it at the time was appointed to uh, Chaim Gideon. There was a lot of issues with that. People said Ayel should have been, Ayel Yanilov should have been the one to take over because he was the, like unofficial protege. So a lot of the younger people were pissed off by that. I've never met Chaim Gideon, but a lot of people don't like him because of his attitude. So they split, uh, and I've heard a lot. I've heard that from a lot of people. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> um, so it split, and then for and Ayel Yanilov was the head of IKMF, and then in 2008 or give or take, 
There was a coup, per se, where Avi Moyel took over. A lot of people were very upset about that. Ayel kind of left and did his own thing and then informed uh, KMG in 2010, at which point a lot of people left IKMF because they felt Ayel was the one to follow. And there's a lot of politics in Kramaga, but short history lesson there. So, you yeah. know, I, I brought it up because, again, uh, not all Kramaga organizations are the same. And if they don't open your eyes to the greater world of Kramaga, sometimes students get very tunnel vision. KMG not being as bad as IKMF for that, but I don't know if that was sort of the thing. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, you during your lessons, you talk a lot more about things like that. Um, mine's, and this could have just been exclusively my instructor mm-hmm. was uh, more focused on, you're here to fight, let's learn how to fight. Yeah, yeah. And he was very much, he was the kind of guy that, he didn't care what you wear to, wore to class. Yeah. You could wear uniform, you could wear not. You could, as long as you turned up and you, you did the work. And even within gradings, it sort of became... You know, you got put in the headlock. Did you get out of the headlock? Yeah. Congratulations, you passed. As opposed to, did you technically, you know, execute that maneuver in the six steps you were taught, sort mm-hmm. of thing? Um, so it sounds like he's a bit more realistic than a traditional yeah, KMG instructor. I he would also say. had a karate background. Um, yeah. He had a black belt, can't remember how many Dan karate. Uh, he did have some military experience within the Australian Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe he had either some kickboxing or, or other training. Uh, yeah. he, he didn't talk about himself an awful lot in a sense that he didn't turn up and say, hey, my name's Graham and this is all my experience and yada, 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 yeah. and this is what I can teach you. It was just, you had sort of had to turn up to class very regularly and, you know, you'd get little snippets here and there. Like I said, if he was feeling generous one day, he'd, he'd show you this or he'd, yeah. he'd teach that. Um, so we didn't get into as much of the history and all the, the politics and whatnot as you did, yeah. um, but or you do, sorry. But we did, uh, we were aware of the other organisations yeah. and it was more focused around what was available within Australia. So there was there was always other other uh, gyms and, and classes that, you know, yeah. Commando Krav Maga, you know, Krav Maga this, Krav Maga that. Commando Krav Maga is not Krav Maga. No. Just saying. That's the one that for sure is not, has been widely shut down by everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we had a guy that uh, that either used to go there or just went, uh, went to one of their gyms for a, a couple of lessons, and he said the same thing. He was like, oh, they'll probably kill you in a second, but what they're doing is not Krav Maga. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, I mean, we were aware of the different organizations and we were obviously kind of told that, you know, KMG was one of the bigger ones or one of the better ones. And from what I saw, kind of all of the, like the back of house, they had a lot of uh, like sort of online content even back then. And uh, it seemed very, very well sort of run uh, to me at least. But there wasn't beyond talking about like uh, Emmy Lickfield and then EL being his kind of uh, protege. Yeah. You'd see little bits and bobs of people turning up, mainly kind of YouTube stuff, um, of other instructors around the place. But we certainly didn't get into as much detail as as you do yeah. with things like that, which is has been an eye opener for me coming and training with you, as opposed to, like I said, Australia's a long way from yeah. anywhere, and Perth's a long way from anywhere else in Australia. So, well, I mean, part of that's me as an individual. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am not a typical Kramaga instructor. I, I think there's an issue in the Kramaga world of, of the transition from military, like I'm releasing in a series, probably hopefully people have read it by now, mm-hmm. but about like the difference between military, civilian and police law enforcement and civilian uh, application at Krav Maga. And, you know, if you ask the Israelis or a lot of the, like even in Australia, it's very 
different mentality than here. It's like go hard, go fast, and we're here to learn this stuff. And and I find that works in some countries really well because yeah. of the mentality that people. So Australia, you can kind of kick the crap out of each other. Generally, people are okay with that. Eastern Europe, generally people, Israel, even Israel, it's actually starting to wane for the average individual. Okay. Um, uh, and I, I was like, there's not, in my opinion, very good balance in the general Krav Maga world between civilian application and military application. And so me, us being in Vancouver, if I go balls to the walls, which we did earlier on in UTKM days, it doesn't work. It just people, people, uh, they give up and they quit and it's too hard. It's already, I already get that. And I certainly haven't watered it down as you know, but it's more, I am understanding I'm teaching civilians, most of whom have never got off their ass to push themselves for anything hard. And so you have to balance some days or weeks you go really hard and some days you go not. And then, you know, you know me, I'm big on critical thinking. Yeah. Not just for Krav Maga, but for life, which people are not being taught anymore. So I want to throw in the history of Krav Maga and other stuff. I do throw in the politics. And I, you know, I understand people get mad at me for that. Like (laughs) it's, it's not a secret that a lot of people hate the fact they're not just kicking the crap out of each other. But it's like, we have laws, we have context, we have stuff, and you actually need to know so much more than just kick the shit out of each other nowadays. Um, one of my, you know, I have many instructors I train under whenever I can. Uh, I mean, Helmstein, that guy can throw you across the room pretty easy. He's not, he's probably my height, way stronger than me. He's been training his, his whole life, martial arts and Krav Maga. His style is very simple, and I would say it's one of the better organizations for police and, and security application at Krav Maga. Okay. But he, he acknowledges openly like, hey, man, we all have cell phones everywhere. If you have the attitude of the old school Krav Maga, you're going to end up in jail, even in Israel. Yeah. And so there's like a disconnect. Who learned? When, when did you learn your Krav Maga? Did you learn it 30 years ago and have you updated? Because if you haven't, you either get the st- style of Krav Maga that you see, say, in Brazil, where they've lost connection to Israel and whoever's running the Brazilian Krav Maga organization, it's not Krav Maga anymore. It's like karate, basically. Um, uh Sorry, where was I? I already lost my training. <laughs> uh, law enforcement, and you can't just get yeah, shit out of Yeah, well, he's going. just acknowledging that nowadays things are changing, right? Yeah. And you can't be like that anymore. And the other thing is with civilians is you've got to build people up. There's a huge issue with anxiety and insecurities, especially in Western world. Uh, I was listening to a black comedian. He was talking about It's like he was making a joke that he's like, I have a white people disorder called anxiety you know <laughs> i was on a kill tony show i think uh it's pretty funny and, and and you have to address that as a crowd maga instructor nowadays in if you're teaching in north america in particular i you think know. that's kind of uh like not just north america but a western type thing yeah. you find it's in general people are being encouraged to be which i don't think is overall a bad thing but in general people are being encouraged to be I don't want to say less confrontational, but kind of uh, less violent. Yeah. Less, it's always more about, you know, talking things out and whatnot, as opposed to, I mean, back in the, no, this is kind of before my day, but uh, almost, but 
you know, back in the day, there was a school bully and, you know, if the school bully got caught by someone, he'd get the shit kicked out of yeah. him and then maybe he'd stop, maybe he wouldn't. Yeah. Whereas these days, there's not, like, that doesn't happen. It's a matter of, you know, we have intervention meetings yeah. and we, we have, To you know, the end, like, insane amount. Exactly. And it, it comes to the point where, it, in my very limited experience, because I was out of kind of school by the time this yeah. was all just coming in, but it becomes very counterproductive because nothing happens quickly. And in that case, like especially with young kids and teenagers in school, if you're being bullied at school, if you've got someone that's, you know, either physically picking on you, pushing you around, hitting you, or, you know, these days obviously a lot of kind of online, online stuff, stuff yeah. and just, I mean, even kind of vicious name calling and, you know, exclusion and shunning and things like that. If that doesn't get remedied kind of on the spot, yeah, the bullies learn very quickly exactly what they can get away with and exactly what context they need to explain what they were doing with for it to be in such a gray area that all these whole oh no we're going to have a, a meeting with the principal and their yeah. parents and whatnot and that nothing happens and nothing happens quickly enough for the kid that's getting bullied yeah. and he feels like he's being let down by the system yeah because it's which is usually happens i know and it's moved from you know the system being there to protect the kids that were being bullied that i mean it's almost protecting the bullies and you see things i mean i'm jumping out of context here a little bit but you see things with uh people getting out of abusive relationships yeah and they go, maybe they get a restraining order, restraining order filed against their, their ex. And then their ex can still basically stalk them, threaten them, yeah. really still ruin their life. Yeah. And police are like, well, he hasn't actually committed a crime yet. What do you want us to do? Yeah. Like, at that point, like, where does criminal stalking become, you know, a, a jailable or, you know, an offense that's actually worth the police doing something? Usually, like, here at least, when weapons get involved, usually it's when they yeah. start making the distinction or or there's an actual serious abuse uh depends on the country of course uh, beyond yeah. that but as for i remember as a teen like i had some issues with some individuals and uh they were harassing me in a way that's like yeah, borderline criminal yeah. you know and i called the police and they're like do they have weapons i'm like not right now but i they're in their car like i don't know maybe yeah they're like well we can't do anything until they have weapons and it's like, well, what the hell? And like circling back to the, the the bullying thing, it's it's the systems are protecting themselves against lawsuits. They're not helping the kids. Because yeah. a lot of the times the problem is the parents of the bully. A yeah. lot of the time. And as a teacher or the system, yeah, you're not telling that parent what to do. You should be, this is where you get gray though, is that you should try your best to educate that kid uh realize what they're doing is wrong now where this gets sideways and it's going sideways real fast yeah. is they start to indoctrinate kids and you know uh my partner was asking like i said they need to here's what you should do for the system well how do you know what's biased or not and i'm like it's simple you only teach what has been definitively proven to be consistent <laughs> you don't yeah. start teaching things based on new ideology that has been barely proven Right, and what you're seeing in schools is they, some somebody who knows somebody comes up with a new idea that has yeah. no proven track record, and they start implementing it, and it just becomes generally accepted. I learned as an individual, with no one teaching me, you kick the bully in the nuts, they think twice. I have a couple about stories yeah, yeah. about that. You know, I had one guy who, uh, you know, would throw things at me, and not just me, other people, or you're not looking, and he'd like hit you with a textbook. Now, luckily, I have a hard head, and I didn't react the way other people did. Yeah. And then I don't know what happened, and I made friends with that individual. 
and he came from a bad home like the house reeked of pot okay. right which so obviously the parents yeah, nothing against that but if you have a teen growing up in a house that reeks of pot that's a bit of a problem yeah it's a red flag yeah I mean, like again nothing against it personally uh, but that applicate that's a little weird then I had another case a kid dumb as a brick but really popular like all uh, really popular when he, I knew this kid could fight for sure could fight and because uh, I've seen him fight and he got my face I can't remember what happened I kick him in the groin I think it was in one of the blog posts we we yeah. contributed to and he didn't like that next time there was a conflict between me and him he refused to come close to me yeah. because he realized I'm not playing by the schoolyard rules mm-hmm. of let's square off hands up I'm gonna win and kick you in the nuts and you're gonna go down and he would be like hey you go get him and it's like that's what saved my ass. And I think it's that personally, I'm surprised I never got jumped. If you think I have a big mouth now, I had a bad big, <laughs> big mouth, mouth then. Like that, yeah. And it's like, I think people just realize that they never really knew what I was going to do. And so they thought to themselves, even those people who were actually like really violent people, they're like, yeah, the kid's a nobody, but he's also unpredictable. So I'm going to leave him alone. You That's, know? Um, it's funny you say that. It was. Uh, it wasn't really big outside of Australia, I guess. But have you ever heard of uh, Mark Chopper Reed? Uh, not off the top of my head, okay. no. <laughs> so he was, we're going back to maybe the 80s here. Um, he was a criminal uh, in uh, in Melbourne. And he was a standover man, basically. And he was, he's been kind of mainly by himself, but, you know, described as like Australia's toughest street fighter, yeah. yada, yada. And he got involved in kind of the drug syndicates and whatnot and had spent most of his adult What's the life. equivalent in England? So just, there's that guy everyone always talks about. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, I, the I most dangerous to... prisoner. Whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name. They made some movies of him or something. Yeah. Anyways, continue. Um, yeah, and he's he spent most of his adult life in prison. Um, yeah. he, I'm pretty sure he got done on at, one, at least one murder charge and like lots of assaults and drug dealing and whatnot. And he, they made a movie about him with Eric Banner, and it was just called Chopper. Um, yeah, yeah. Really good movie, actually. Um, again, I guess if you're Australian, and it goes the through original kind of, Hulk. Yeah, it kind of goes through his uh, well, not. through his history. Um, and in their special features, there's uh, there's interviews with with Chopper because he's out of prison now, and he lives yeah. on a farm in Tasmania. And um, Eric Banner went down with the producers, and they were you know talking to him and trying to you know, get in character and whatnot. And he started telling some stories about um, about you know what it was like in prison and this mm. that, and the other. And he, he said, you know, there's uh, one day he came into the prison yard and there was, a, there was a guy in the corner, you know, and he was sitting there and he was you know, crying and whatnot. And a new guy, Chopper didn't know who he was. So, he's, you know, ironically, really lovely, really nice guy. You know, yeah. so you get on the wrong side of him. He's kind of wandered over. And he's like, oh, what's, what's going on, mate? That's the problem. You know, why, why are you crying? He's like, oh, you know, I've got the guys in here that are harassing me and, are, you know, and got family outside and they're threatening them or whatever. You know, obviously prison's a shit place yeah. to be. And he's like, oh. You're, you're a big guy, like you, you know, you should be able to handle yourself. He's like, oh, you know, this, that, now. He's like, oh, we'll, we'll sort them out. Don't worry, we'll sort them out. Yeah. And he said, so they've gone back into into their um their cells or whatever. And he said, middle of summer, thirty eight degree day yeah. out in the yard, and uh, Chopper and this other guy have walked out, and they're wearing big winter coats. Yeah. And like, what's going on? He said, we walked through the the guards are patting us down, and as they're patting us down, they've stopped and they've felt like a big. I'm pretty sure he said machete, but yeah. some kind of weapon under this guy's coat. And the guards kind of looked at Chopper and Chopper's just giving him a nod and the guard's like, all right, I'll let this go sort of thing. And he was saying that the way he described it was um, nobody's scared of big men in prison. Yeah. Everyone's big. Yeah. Everyone's got family. It's like people are scared of the psychos. Yeah. And he said that's what kept him out of a lot of trouble in prison because he was a psycho. 
Yeah. It's like nobody wants to wants to mess with the psychos because they they just don't know what you're going to do. Yeah. And yeah, big or not, if you're the kind of guy that's got a reputation of shit, maybe he's just going to gouge your eye out, then you don't really want to mess with that guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to the fact that we are animals of a form and we follow the predator-prey models and it's consistent. And predators don't like things that might hurt them. Like in the wild, you know, I think for wolves, the average lifespan is like three or four years for wolves because they get so messed up. They hunt with their face. So they get so messed up. You know, if they tackle a moose and they lose that battle, well, they're they're done, right? So for a pack of, a small pack of wolves to go after a moose, they have to be really hungry or a, a large pack of wolves. And even then they'll probably get you know, messed up. The same for lions, you know, the, I don't know what the age for them is, but they want the easy targets because even as the apex predator, you can risk injury. And I think humans have like removed, we, we've lost that sense of we are animals yeah. and we apply to that. And all these armchair, you know, you know, armchair anthropologist type dickheads coming up with all these theories and policies is like, that's not going to do anything if I want to punch you in the face. I'm just telling you, yeah. your laws and your rules and your let's be nice to each other doesn't mean shit if I want to punch you in the face. What are you going to do then? Oh, well, you know, you can't do that, but I can. You know, Physically, I can. There's like, nothing stopping me. Like, yeah. And there's that disconnect. It's like, well, the police. It's like, and, and I know me and you agree on this. It's like, yeah, but the police. Vancouver has a very good call time of about five minutes. In five minutes, you can still be dead. Yeah. You know, or worse. No. And that's, I was talking to a guy at work and he's a, a bit of a, bit of a hippie type fellow, nice guy, um, older, he's in his 40 something. And he was talking about how, you know, very kind of anti-violence. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but it's it's not that hard to push someone to, to the point of violence. He's like, oh, no, it's all right. You know, it's just, you know, let it go or whatever. I'm like, all right, we're sitting in like the, the trailer for lunch. I'm like, all right, I'm going to stand in the trailer door. Yeah, I'm not going to let you out. Yeah, you 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 can't go back out. And he's like, how long before you're going to physically push me out of the way? Yeah, he's like, oh, I'll just sit down and take a longer lunch break. I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine. And then at the end of the day, you want to go home, and I'm still standing there, or you want to go pick your kids up. Yeah, and it's it's not that hard. Before uh, we were talking about protests, the pipeline oh, yeah. protests. This was a couple of years ago now, and with the whole you know police violence and whatnot, I was like, when when people just refuse to kind of move. And whoever, whoever's, you know, the authority police come and say, we've got a warrant to remove you, you're on this land, or, you know, please disperse, or we're going to tear gas you, or this happened. And they just sit there and say, no, 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 no. And then complain when they get tear gassed. Yeah. Like, well, you you were, they tried nicely to, yeah. to move you on. You know, you'd, you'd made your point, whatever. They came back and they said, all right, they've slowly escalated their approach. Yeah. If you just do not comply and do not comply and do not comply they're going to yeah keep getting more and more violent until the point that you know they can remove you whether that be water cannons or tear gas or batons or yeah and that that's just a natural progression for i think for anybody in any situation yeah well it's like you go to rural camp like whenever i'm teaching a firearms course uh for the canadian uh, licensing thing i always remind people half of canada is rural and rural is different because I was giving an example of like what happened, like legally a non-restricted rifle you can have in your car unloaded in the back seat so long as you're sitting in it. You have to be in the car yeah. and it can be visible and it has to be unloaded. If you're not in the car, it can't be visible. 
If I leave a non-restricted rifle in my back seat unloaded and I'm in the front seat and a city cop pulls me over, it's a bad day for me. Yeah. If I do that exam, it's totally legal. It's not a good idea in the cities. Don't do that. You will have a bad day. If I do that in rural Canada, they're going to just be like, "Eh, stop being an idiot. And the difference is because there's less police officers in rural Canada. There may be, you know, six cops on duty at any given time, maybe less, maybe more. And they have huge areas to cover. And rural Canadians are more willing to be violent with the police than they are in in the cities. cities, And so often you'll find rural police, and this is probably global, rural police are, unless you have an authoritarian government, etc., are less likely to confront people and let things go because it's the one cop and two drunk guys with guns. And they'll just be like, hey, don't make me have to come back here, buddy, because I'll come back with like 10 guys and guns, okay? But if that's the city cops, we got to call the RT, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I think uh, a lot of what you're talking about there as well is uh, what the cities are lacking a lot of, but with larger populations, I know it gets harder, but like community policing. Yeah. I mean, it's all good and well to like to be all right. This is the letter of the law. You you did this wrong. This is the punishment for it. All right, I I can understand that. But when you get back to more community policing styles, where I mean, in the older days in the cities and in the rural, you know, you catch a kid that's you know graffitiing the school or you know just civil disobedience kind of teenage stuff. Instead of you know getting hauled off down to the local to the police station and you know a big thing made out of it the cops are like you're an idiot come with me he puts him in the back of his car takes him, takes him back to his home yeah. goes to his parents you know what your kid was doing yada 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 yeah. and then assuming the parents are on top of things as well you know the kid gets punished more by their parents than yeah. they do by the law and that's how i think that's how communities develop better relationships with law enforcement yeah when when they see circumstances where you know the cops kind of let things go when they can yeah. and when they should. And like you said, cutting a kid a break who's, you know, he's a good kid. He just, you know, this and this happened and contributed to him having a bad day yeah. as opposed to, oh, no, you you broke the law, so yeah. now you're... you're well, you know, maximum. we sort of have that here. We have uh, school liaison officers. Okay. And they tend to be the more laid back, like kind of good personality type people because um, we had them. But again, it's like one cop who has to do regular duty who's attached to a school with maybe a thousand kids. Now, most of those kids are fine, but let's say you have, you know, 50 kids in that thousand person school that have issues. Well, that one cop who has to do regular duty can't really do too much. Yeah. No, I had, you know, incidents where I had to get them involved, but, you know, I had no problem with him, but I had issues with other cops because they'd show up like, are you in a gang? I'm like, no, teenagers are idiots. Like, what's your problem? Like, I got very mad. So, you know, I can see why people uh, get mad at police because um, they'll come in thinking everybody is the enemy, which is an issue in its own. And if you're the victim and you get that kind of cop, it turns people off versus the liaison cop who would who would never be like that. But they're overworked, et cetera. Yeah. You know, but overworked, undertrained. Yeah. Now, in Canada, we have the RCMP and they don't really have beat cops. And that's part of the problem. They're overworked arguably underpaid but they make pretty good damn money compared to say american cops but it's the system that is failing and despite the demand for community policing rcmp are decision making ultimately in ottawa 
and they don't give a shit about community policing. They say they do. They don't. They pull the funding every time people try. That's why, you know, in Metro Vancouver, people want a Metro local police forces. And the RCMP union, which is new, and the government federally are fighting it tooth and nail. Okay. And really, anyone who's actually educated is like, nah, we need a local police force. See, I, I mean, I kind of fall on the other side of that, but maybe that's just obviously things work a little bit different in Australia. Yeah, so we, probably, yeah. We have the, the AFP, the Australian Federal Police, and they operate more like the American FBI. Mm. They're kind of they're federal and they, they handle kind of big ticket items and um, things like that. And then we have each state then has its own police force. Yeah. So it's a West Australian police force. And then within that, they have obviously different precincts and districts and whatnot. Uh, one of my uh, kid that was next door to me when I grew up is uh, becoming a cop, actually. And you yeah. you have to do a certain amount rural. It's usually yeah. your first two years or something, rural duty. And Deal with the shit and then come <laughs> Well, it's also, it's hard to get people to go out there. Yeah. So that's an easy way for them to uh, police the, these. Uh, you want to talk about middle of nowhere, middle of <laughs> Australia. Yeah. And um, so at that point, you have community policing in the sense that there was the same kind of few cops that were where I grew up, Mundaring, my kind of hometown, was I would describe it somewhere sort of like Abbotsford, Chilliwack. Yeah. It was about 40 minutes out of the city. Uh, I had friends that had five acres with, you know, a couple of sheep and some cows on them. Yeah. I lived on a half acre block, but there was, you know, state forest across the road yeah. for me that went on for miles. So there was the same the same bunch of cops that lived in the area that policed that area. Yeah. And they they were good at the whole community policing thing. But it wasn't a matter of like it, they were still WA state police. So yeah. they still got the the same training, the same funding, the same they had access to all the same things as the cops in the city and everything else did. Yeah. Um but it was just once you kind of I guess it's kind of like teachers in schools. Mm. Once you get to a certain point in your career, you can get like a, a posting at a particular, you know, police precinct or yeah. you know, um, police department, and that's like, all right, I'm I'm here for life now, and that's where the kind of the community policing comes in. But it was still very much a government, state government, almost federally yeah. overseen kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like the thing is with the RCMP is there are FBI and our general police force. So they're doing double, triple duty yeah. with no beat cops. Everyone's a detective. They work insane hours. They're exhausted. They make stupid decisions. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what province you're in, it's the federal government that dictates your budgeting and everything, which is a problem. Yeah, that, you know? that can definitely be a problem. So, you know, RCMP operating more like an FBI outright and then allowing local police to manage locally is a better model, but it's not going on. It's a lot of corruption and a lot of... Uh, battle of power yeah right you know one of the issues locally to my understanding is there's a resistance to a metro vancouver police force because the city of vancouver wants to be in charge and all the other cities don't want them to be in charge because they don't like how they do things so that's why there's been a heavy resistance locally from the mayorship against a metro even though that is the best option for the citizens because they Vancouver ultimately will want to take charge and Vancouver's politics, the city, there's, you know, thirteen or fourteen surrounding cities, is very independent. Basically Vancouver does what Vancouver wants and says fuck you to the rest of the cities. And so they it's a very issue politically that there's that's the major roadblock for a general metro Vancouver, which financially is the better solution. 
So then, you know, we have, like, I, I live in Surrey right now. It's the largest municipality yeah, in the they, area. Yeah, they've currently got the... Uh, and they're trying to transition over. And the RCMP union is blo- trying to fight it, and the RCMP in general. And yes, you get the federal training and et cetera, but you don't get the community policing properly out of the RCMP. They say they give it, they don't. They're not really yeah. doing it. And so you get more dedicated, better structured local police forcing. Yes, it'll cost more money, because you have to bring in the training facilities. Most of them just train out of the Justice Institute anyway, the local police forces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, paying more money for a better product should yeah. be a problem anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, do you know how it works? So, like, because we have, uh, like, in Delta, there's Delta Police. Yeah. How does it go? Like, do they, are they, like, a registered police force that then has, like, access to the RCMP database or whatever? Like, Sort of. Again, I'm, I'm going to probably get something wrong. I'm not yeah. an expert on this. But, like, it's not like the state's, as a general rule where they like no this is our jurisdiction they will share information in Canada they're not such that's probably why overall our law enforcement in Canada is more effective because they're not playing the who's got the bigger dick most of the time beyond the politics of the funding and, and the ideology politics when it comes down to actually getting criminals like they gang bust really fast in Canada because they all coordinate with each other yeah, and like no. I said, that's the kind of the thing that I like about the Australian police was yeah. WA State Police. They they all have the same yeah. computer system, prison records, all that kind of stuff. It's all exactly the same. And then uh, a lot. I, mean, I don't know a lot about other states, but they all operate the same way. And I imagine it's a very easy uh, option for them to go. Let's search this name yeah. locally. All right, let's search this name Australia wide. Yeah, I mean they. I, I, if you're a flag criminal it'll show up and i don't think they have outright access they have to ask permission but it's not like no you're not in the jurisdiction they're not pulling the fbi caai like local police i I didn't didn't think it was going to be the issue but i was just like it's more to do with like the political political level that's a problem and the funding that's the problem and ideologically is the problem some dickhead in ottawa who thinks things should be like this has never stepped foot in bc is telling them how to do stuff well, it's like you were saying, those armchair anthropologists yeah. sit there and say, oh, this is how we're going to handle bullying from now on. Like, that's that's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. And you the same thing. Some guy in Ottawa is saying, all right, well, this is the approach we're going to take to gangs. I'm like, yeah. well, a gang in Toronto is different from a gang in Vancouver, which is different to a gang in you know Alberta. Yeah. Like they're, they're all going to have different issues. They're all going to have different resources. They're all going to have different goals. And, and that brings up a valid point. You know, Vancouver has the drug issue and it has the crime issue. And the homelessness issue, which is a very different homelessness issue than, say, L.A. Yeah. It's a very different homeless issue than in mid-America. Or I, and they'll, they do these, the politicians will do these investigations. Well, how did L.A. handle it? Mm-hmm. It's like they have a different problem, man. Yes, the, we can say that it's the same because the homeless and crime, it's the same. No, it's not. Right? Vancouver's homeless issue is a lot, hugely integrated with mental health. Yeah, you go to LA now. It's hugely due to a shitty government, and now everyone's homeless. Yeah, and, and lack of support. You know, the American way is not always the nicest for some people. <laughs> if you're not the most capable person, yeah. you're going to have trouble in 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 America versus Canada. Um, <clears throat> but they try to implement policies that don't work here because some they spend a hundred million dollars invest. I'm just throwing a number out yeah. there. Investigating and doing a committee and another committee, and then it's like, have you talked to the local people? Yeah locally and then made a decision you know um 
is a thing called like the broken glass phenomenon. Are you familiar with it? Uh, I haven't heard of it by that name. And it's an interesting phenomenon is that if you gentrify a place, people start treating it better. Yeah. So from a human psychological perspective, you want to make places nicer. And then even homeless people will start treating it nicer. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And so you get this, you have these ideas, these things work. It works. Now, of course, it's complicated. If a big developer comes in, kicks everyone out, jacks up the price, this is where it gets a little dicey. Yeah. But the concept of making a place nicer is totally valid. And it works. It makes people behave better. But then that whole complicated issue of, you can't make this place nicer. What are the homeless people going to do? What Because the developers obviously want money and no one's willing to come up with a middle ground operating on, hey, broken glass thing. If we make the place nicer, everyone has better living overall. Yeah, I think the other uh, other issue you find there is, like you say, developers come in yeah. and they want to do things quickly and efficiently. And a true, I think a true gentrification, like you're saying, where that works, happens slowly. Yeah. And that way you find a similar thing happened in, uh, in Perth where uh, we had a lot of our natives there where uh, Midland was... Uh, what are they called again in Australia? Uh, I would say Aboriginals. Aboriginals. I've yeah. heard people say Aborigines. I'm not yeah. sure what the current politically correct word I, is. I mean, wouldn't it... Because it's so diverse tribally there, wouldn't it matter based on the tribe? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think when it comes down to that particular yeah. nomenclature, or probably said that word wrong, but I don't think they care about that so much. Yeah. Um, within, there are lots of, again, like the uh, Canadian First Nations, there's lots of tribes within that, which they all have their own names and, and whatnot for it. Yeah, like my last podcast with CJ. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so there was a, they were hanging out in, in a place called Midland, and it was, it was a bit of a, a down-and-out kind of a ghetto and they, yeah. they came in and they started to uh, they started to fix the place up and redevelop the parks where they would be you know hanging out in drinking until you know sleeping in into you know kind of art centers yeah. and, and things like that and it it's it was done in such a way that all the the problem individuals that weren't willing to become nicer as the place became nicer yeah. were just moving kind of further out yeah. and further up the hill yeah. sort of thing and it, it had kind of a bit of a knock-on effect so you know it doesn't really work without being our seat but there's perth's right by the coast and the further you go inland you kind of go up a hill so you go through perth and you go through midland and then i lived in Mundaring, which is further east and further up the hill mm-hmm. and everything kind of the the problems slowly moved up the hill yeah and to well suburbs, that's normal yeah, sprawl exactly yeah. and suburbs that were used to be far enough out that they didn't get a lot of that um, because they were they weren't on public transport yeah. they were they you know where I grew up there was one bus an hour taking you down to the city sort of thing uh, so the the problem individuals didn't want to hang out there because they didn't have access to a lot of the stuff that they they wanted yeah um, but when the gentrification of kind of the the Midland and the, the Subiaco area happened they were kind of they were forced not physically but they are closer to the mic <laughs> they uh, uh they kind of slowly moved out uh and moved up into, yeah. into these areas so and then those areas became to kind of gentrified on as well yeah so. yeah and no, that's the issue it's like just like a bully or criminals yeah. and i'm not saying that a homeless person is automatically any of those things so don't freak out um there will always be people who don't give a fuck and don't want to be part of society yeah 
And it's like, what do you do with this group of people that just, for whatever reason, okay, like I understand there's trauma and that's the main focus of a lot of people. Oh, they have trauma. They're not. You have to decide, are they responsible for their actions or are they not responsible for their actions? Because if they are responsible for the actions, then they need they need to be and you need to hold them accountable. If they're not, then I'm sorry, they don't necessarily get to make their own decisions as yeah. far as that. And so you're just going to have to accept a lot of people just don't fit into society. And you don't have to treat them like animals, which is the main thing a lot of people on the left are like. They're humans. No, I didn't say they're not. But you have to acknowledge that they don't want to. They don't want to, for whatever reason, integrate into society. Whether it's because they had a traumatic childhood, they just don't want to. They have a mental health issue, all sorts of reasons. But it's not fair to greater society to let them just run amok. Yeah, you know, for a situation like that, I'll be like, I have no problem paying with a place where they can just live, but they got to stay there, you know, with toilets and internet and all that. Yeah, and the issue is they're always going to wreck it a lot of the time because they don't care yeah. right uh, and you know um same would be to criminals they they don't care so what do you do with people who don't care right and it's it's kind of circling back to the self-defense thing what do you do with people who don't care with the bullying thing what do you do with people who don't care you got to make them realize you can't act like that yeah this is not a saying go punch people just because that's not no. what i just said it's just understanding human nature is some people don't want to play by the game. Yeah, you know? and that's, again, like almost the way you were talking about the guy that you kicked in the nuts. Like, you're going to play by the normal rules if we're going to square up, stand off, and punch each other in the head until one of us goes down. Or, crap, this guy's going to kick me in the nuts. Yeah. He's going to kick me in the knee, and that's that's not the normal rules. And then even talking about, like, my dad talking to him about his generation, it used to be... Back like, in the day. Back, back in the day. <laughs> I'm yeah. starting to do that now. Yeah. Back in my day. You know, you'd hit someone, they'd fall down, you'd wait for them to get up and hit them again, or if they didn't get up, you kept on moving. Whereas, yeah. you know, now you hit someone, they fall down, then they start kicking you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so yeah, that's an interest. I talk about a lot. People think it's not appropriate, and I think you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, is that for most of human history, there was not that much integration culturally. And when you have less integration culturally, as far as you basically, there's only Australians around or yeah. we're just Canadians, although Canadians pretty much always been a mixed bag yeah. or like you're just growing up in England for 500 years with little integration, uh, maybe the French a little bit, the Normans and stuff, but you generally have a better sense. Everybody has a better sense of the rules socially and what's acceptable or not. And everyone roughly plays by the same social rules. Yeah. Nowadays with all the intercultural mixing and the globalization, our human brains are not sophisticated enough to understand all the rules of every culture and every group of people out there. Exactly. And a lot of that can even just come down to stupid things like misunderstandings and words that have similar meanings but not quite the same meaning. And you end up in a situation where you've really offended somebody's honor yeah. And you have no idea what you did wrong because either in your culture that's not a thing or in their culture it really is a thing or the, the words are just a little bit different. Yeah, And I think that can cause issues as well. And that sort of thing, there needs to be give and take on both sides. Yeah, People need to understand that you may offend someone without meaning to, yeah. but the other person needs to understand as well that, okay, 
this guy wasn't trying to be offensive, yeah. so I'm going to politely correct him and then, you know, go from, go move on from yeah. there. Well, hmm, I have an example. How do I do this without throwing someone under the bus? So I was discussing uh, cultural differences in wedding practices. Okay. And, uh, you know, Vancouver is full of a lot of Asians, so discussing Asian, Asian wedding practices. And they were saying Asian weddings are cheap, Chinese in particular. And I'm like, what do you mean? And it's like, well, because... Everyone comes with a red envelope with money. And basically, the wedding is paid for itself from all the guests that show up. So you can have, the more people you invite, the more money you, more get, money you get and the cheaper it is. Yeah. And they said, but you can't, you can't, you have to be careful about inviting too many white people to it because they're too cheap. And it's just like, wait, 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 wait. You're saying that white people are cheap and without getting too real. It's like, yeah. you know, but, okay. Is it perhaps that you did not explain to the non-Chinese people this is a culturally Chinese wedding and here's how they operate. You are being ethnocentric by assuming the white people know that that that's the expectation. And then I said, you know what? While a lot of white people who are cheap are usually broke, first of all, not always, but sometimes. And... What at least in the Jewish world, while you do get the socialite type people, it's like a lot of them will give you money quietly, privately, yeah, in like large check amounts. Not always, of course, it depends on your family and all yeah. that. And I'm like, because it's not about how good you look socially. I'm like, to me as a white person, what that is is you show up to the wedding, you make sure everyone sees that you have your red envelope and you give it. How fat it is. And and it's all about the overall social appearance. And I'm like, and again, it'll vary widely between what a Western culture is. But I was like that not every culture is about the ostent, like open, overt, like, look at me, I'm giving money. Because I know people in my community that will give insane amount of money to people but quietly and they don't want to talk about it yeah. you know and it's like so to say outright jews are cheap or white people well, it's like depends i find broke people are cheap yeah regardless of culture for a reason the, you know? the flip side to that coin obviously i was in hospitality for years so i've worked god knows how many weddings and you, you that person said oh look you know white people are cheap because they don't give bring their red envelopes yeah well maybe it's the chinese people that are cheap because they're expecting people to pay for their wedding yeah white people have a wedding and they invite as many people as they can afford to pay for yeah and you're not expected to i mean you're expected to bring a gift but you're not expected to pay for your own meal and, yeah. and all this kind of stuff yeah and that's the so, thing that's why a lot of western weddings are so expensive is because the host pays for it now in some cultures it's the bride's family that pays for it and some it's the groom's family that pays for it outright and it's like that sort of lack of cultural understanding ultimately causes conflict yeah and leads into the self-defense thing as you everyone plays by different rules and it's really impossible to know all the rules of everybody's culture for most people exactly and that comes down to my uh, my in-laws travel quite a lot and yeah. for anyone that, that does become a bit of a global citizen and, and travel like it's it is important to uh if you're going somewhere, just clue yourself up on the, the local customs. And, what and will get you punched immediately? <laughs> exactly. You know, what you always see these stupid things on Facebook, like, you know, five things, you know, never to do in Italy or whatever, because, yeah. you know, they, these gestures are rude. or you know, Don't eat food weird. you didn't order. Yeah. I, I read a whole bunch of articles about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're in India, you know, you clean your plate. Never refuse vodka in Russia. Yeah. Like it's, 
all these kind of things. So, if, I mean, if you're going to go somewhere, you, you, I think it's polite to clue yourself up on, on what is and isn't kind of uh, acceptable. But as a tourist, you might be focusing on things like how do I act in a restaurant? Uh, you know, how do I ask to go to the toilet? You know, what's which there? Americans are notoriously bad at figuring out. Oh God. I was. This was here in Vancouver. I was working at uh, Frankie's Italian uh, in the um, right in the city, and a group of Americans came in. It was a couple of years ago, and I, I shit you not, have called me over. I was the beverage manager at the time, and they picked up the menu. Like, oh hi, these prices are are these in Canadian or American dollars? Yeah. <laughs> and I've kind of I've kind of looked at them dumbfounded for a second, and I was like, uh, Canadian. Like, Do you have any in American dollars? I'm like nowhere in Canada everything's in Canadian money yeah. and they're like oh well can you tell me what this would be in American dollars cheaper like, than listed <laughs> yeah I'm like, it would depend on the exchange rate of the day they're like oh yeah. well, what's that and I'm like it got to the point where I kind of pulled out my phone and got you know the current exchange rate I'm like you're going to be paying about 70 cents on the dollar sort of thing yeah um, but yeah but it, it was just kind of that that arrogance to me of you know well I'm American. Do you have a, a menu in American dollars, or why? Why yeah. isn't this menu in American dollars? Yeah. You know. Now, to be fair, in my t- global experiences, people have issues with Americans, British, and Australians <laughs> because of the drinking culture. Yes. <laughs> Nobody has a problem with Canadians, even though we drink a lot. We tend not to get drunk and smash shit. As a general rule. <laughs> yeah, Australians <laughs> get drunk and we're loud. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a very cultural thing, and that's something that I think uh, Australians kind of at large sort of have a bit of a problem with, I think. And it's not really spoken about um, within Australia or within the community because we don't really kind of think it's a problem yeah. because everybody's sort of like that. Yeah. And one of the guys at work the other day brought something up, and it was uh, I saw the same article. And it was like, oh, Australians are the... the third drunkest nation yeah. in the world. I think it was behind the British and the Germans or something. Germans are, but they tend not to cause trouble because they're rule followers. Yes. You know? But they do, they are known as drinking. <laughs> yeah. um, and I mean, I haven't done a lot of traveling myself, but I've, uh, working in hospitality, I've worked with a, a ton of travelers from all over the place. And the same sort of thing. You always know the, the Australians and yeah, and, and the British yeah. um, that are out there because they're they're always the drunk ones. They're always the the loud kind of. The Americans are the ones, ones who puke. <laughs> yeah, Australians just keep fucking drinking. Yeah, um, and that was I mean, growing up, and I was kind of explaining it to the guy that I work with, and I was like, growing up, at least in my generation, if you were, let's say, drinking age in Australia is eighteen. So let's say, let's be nice and say eighteen to. Maybe. Is it really that high? I would have thought it's lower. No, 18. It's it's 18 for everything in Australia. You can vote, you can sign a legal contract, you can drink, everything's 18. Yeah, um, yeah so if you're 18 to maybe 25, you, there's a good chance at least probably every second to third weekend you're more than likely getting somewhere close to blackout. Yeah. Because that's, that's just the culture. And we're, we have a culture of binge drinkers. Yeah. It's, it's Friday night. It's the weekend. Prison history just brings it up. Yeah. Let, let's get as drunk as we can. And it becomes almost kind of a, not necessarily a rite of passage, but a, a measure of manhood. You're like, how yeah. much can you drink? Oh, that guy has three drinks. I used to be like that. Like, now you know, I'm like, uh, I was proud of my like drinking ability. I'm like, it's because I'm a quarter Irish Canadian, I guess. So it's like, obviously, that's the side of the yeah. genetics. Yeah. So I can drink pretty decently for someone my size but now i'm like dude just chill like drink a few have a nice good time it's like i'm getting to that age where i'm like i don't want to wake up feeling like like you know 
uh, I went keto for a while. And you can drink whiskey on keto, no problem. Yeah. It's actually one of the cleaner alcohols you can drink. It's, it's, it's pretty decent if you're going to drink alcohol. And then we had one glass, and I love wine, but it's like after being off of it for so long, the hangover, oh, I didn't drink wine. that much. Yeah. But with wine, you know, with two people, you finish a bottle, the next day you're going to be like, crap, <laughs> versus like learning your alcohols and drinking and how to drink and yeah. d- don't mix. You know. Yeah, uh, it's uh, wine can be a depend on yeah. what you drink, what wine you're drinking as well. But yeah, and like yeah, like you say, that was uh, me as well. Like I'm, I'm less interested. I mean, I'm in my 30s now, and I've got a couple of kids. I'm not getting blackout drunk. Yeah. Um, if you don't grow out of it by the time you know, I used to tell someone that it's like, I'll forgive people in their teens and even over 25 because the brain's still developing or it's solidifying. But once you get around 30, there's no more general development and it's like you need to sort your shit out yeah like if you're one of those 40 year olds who's still going clubbing every weekend and getting blitz drunk it's like you need to sort your shit out (laughs) especially if you have kids which i've seen before it's like dude what like what are you doing what kind of example are you setting here like this is this isn't healthy for anyone yeah yeah i remember allegedly we were on a beach somewhere in Metro Vancouver. Now, this is before alleged legalization of certain substances. Yeah. But it was still not a big deal in, in Metro Vancouver. And uh, allegedly, people were smoking some stuff. And there was this guy who came drunk as shit with the red Dixie cups. Oh, yeah. Screaming. We were, like, far away from people. Like, the closest person was, like, 50 meters away. He's screaming at certain people, being like, my kids are here, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm like, we're like, dude, you're drunk. Yeah. He's like, so? I'm like, you, you don't think your kids can't tell something's wrong with your behavior and you're lecturing us? He's like, no. It's like, I'm a cop. I'm going to arrest you. It's like, no, you're go not. ahead. <laughs> like, Good you know, luck with that. Yeah. If he was, he's an idiot yeah. saying stuff like that. But it's like you get people with that sort of delusional idea about parenting. Yeah. It's like another time we were shooting out in the bush, non-restricted firearms, totally fine, safe, everything good, into dirt. Guy, we hear a noise, we stop. Guy comes up over the crest on a motorbike, like a dirt bike yeah. in like rough terrain in Canada. No helmet, no protective gear, drunk as shit. lecturing us that his kids are somewhere we're like where is people we checked like we can't see anybody anywhere obviously gunfire sound travels yeah so he must have come quite a while to come yell at us that his kids are somewhere and we're like we're doing everything safe dude you're not (laughs) so wait a minute where are your kids and where are you (laughs) yeah and he's on a dirt bike which is already dangerous drunk with no protective gear in Canadian bush with his kids his kids weren't there. Yeah. It's like like some people's idea of good parenting is like you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day, and I mean, I'm a, I'm a newish parent. Well, my daughter's six. More so, experienced than me. Yeah. I have no kids yet. Yeah. Um. So yeah, my daughter's six. My son's four. And I remember there was things that I said before I had kids that you know, oh, I'm I'm never going to do this as a yeah. parent, and oh, I'm I'm definitely going to do this as a parent. And it's just kind of funny to look back and see the things you said you said you wouldn't do yeah. and did, and the things you said you were going to do and didn't. And I'm kind of proud of some of them, and some of them I'm like, ah, oh, well, whatever. Like I always said, oh, they're not gonna they're not gonna have phones and YouTube, yeah. and you know, they're it's tough they, these they days, right? 
tough and yeah <laughs> and it's to be honest i kind of let that go early on and i've i've used my phone as a babysitter yeah yeah you know, just watch the ipad for a while you know daddy needs to cook or have a shower or do something or whatever yeah uh, i always said i was never gonna put my kids on one of those child leash backpack things <laughs> which i haven't done i'm proud of that i haven't done that i knew some kids who were on those and they were interesting people let's just say yeah because they were on them way too long oh, God. <laughs> and i always uh, i kind of hold out hope for this one a little bit but i always wanted to like be the i don't know almost feel dumpy like dad of do kind of the the cool interesting science science experiments and kind yeah. of you know teach more of that stuff which i hold out hope because my kids are a little bit too young to yeah. be doing that kind of stuff now anyway um, but I'm once they get a little bit older, I'd, I'd like to do more of that kind of backyard science stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, build build bottle rockets and spud guns and stuff. And you know, well, you know, it's uh, the discussion is on the table for that with my current partner, and we're like, we're just, we're really thinking we're going to homeschool if this becomes a thing. Like, I'm a few, I'm a while's off, but we're like discussing yeah. like how would we do it, and it's like we're thinking we're going to have to homeschool, and it's like. That way you can actually implement a lot of the things you want to without interference from other people. Um, and it seems to be a common trend nowadays for a variety of reasons. You know, obviously yeah. religious people naturally do it, and I'm not religious. Um, it's more to do I don't want my kids indoctrinated, which I have, a, I, I have discussions with friends who have younger kids, you know, age three to like seven, and they're like, man, I don't like what's being taught to my child. Yeah, the the kind of flip side to that is it becomes hard to build the social skills. Yeah, yeah. And and definitely because I've met homeschool kids that weren't socialized and they're messed up. And that's the key. Yeah. You got to, so, whether it be martial arts when they're a kid or gymnastics, yeah. you got to put them in. Yeah, in, get them in, into team sports yeah. and, and things like that. Whereas a young age, they ha or you do play dates or whatever with people to interact. Because if you just homeschool and they never see anyone else, it's like, uh, have you ever seen the movie Captain Fantastic or Captain Wonderful? With Viggo Mortensen, no, you you might like it. It's like this guy whose wife uh, and him raise their kids in the middle of the woods, and it's like to the point where oh, like he yeah, teaches yeah. them how to jump on a deer and slit the deer's throat, like, and everyone's his wife dies, and he has to go to the funeral and meet the, the wife's parents who are very wealthy and affluent, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, you're all crazy." And there's this scene where he's like his five year old, so he's got like five and like whatever. Mm -hmm. And the five-year-old, the, I guess, sister-in-law was like, you can't raise your kids. Like, how are they going to do this now? And he's like, to the youngest, the five-year-old, he's like, tell me about the Constitution. And she starts going off on this, like, crazy, in-depth, articulate thing about yeah. the American Constitution. He's like, okay, hold on, good. No, no, first he asked the other kids, other his sister-in-law's kids, like, what do you know about the Constitution? He's like, I don't know, something some dude wrote. And then he has this five-year-old, and and she's like, okay, you made your point. <laughs> but they had no social skills. Yeah. And the eld one of his eldest sons was going off to university. And he's like, why'd you make me such a freak? Mm -hmm. Like, because they have no, inter they don't understand the rules of society. Yeah. Brilliant. But without that socialization, yeah. it's meaningless, you know? And you need that balance, I think. Which which can be hard to hard to get if, especially, I mean, you're saying it's a growing trend, but again, there's that kind of, that mentality of, why like why are you homeschooling your kid are they, are they weird are they and even amongst the parents there's going to be that a little bit of that pushback of oh, yeah 
what's wrong that you're not sending them to school and why should I, you know, let my kid hang around with your kid that's a bit weird. Yeah, sort of thing. well, that's where the parenting comes in. I need to articulate as an adult why you should socialize with yeah. my kid. I would say the biggest issue is that the school system was designed for a specific thing in mind, which was the line worker and that's no longer really a thing considering they're really trying hard to phase out blue collar work. Yeah. So I would say re- as a temporary solution for a lot of people, it might be the best option until the system can get its head out of its ass and catch up to and yeah. realize we do not need these insane structured eight hour days for children. Like I'm for gap years at like age 16. You can take a year off from high school. Or you can take it, or in university where it's totally normal to do a year or two and then take a year off, yeah. just as a standard part of the programs to let people think and and get experience. Um, I was reading something today about apprenticeship programs somewhere where it's like, yeah, you can get skilled trades people at age twenty and be ticketed, or age eighteen or twenty, and they're already ready to go as a plumber or an electrician yeah. because the school system has moved away from that. As far as like, let's it's. You can take a school system as two ways. Is it going to create for a job or is it going to create for an education? Because they're two different things. Yeah, you know? and I had this, my sister-in-law, she sent her kids, she's got a couple of kids. One of them went to uh, public school and then went to private school for a year and then back to public school in, yeah. uh, in high school. And she came, she came in, she was freaking out one day because the... She had like a parent-teacher night and the principal said, we're, we're not preparing your kids to get into university. We're preparing them to not be on your couch when they're 30. I don't think they're doing that though. <laughs> and she just kind of thought that was horrible. Yeah. And I'm like, well, there's you need less people with university degrees yeah. than you do like line workers or tradesmen. You have one architect that designs a, a thousand houses, but you need a hundred thousand carpenters to build those houses. Yeah. Sort of thing. And the whole idea of, you know, getting your kids ready to not be on your couch when they're 30. Yeah. That to me seems like a pretty good goal. Well, so that's an interesting question. So, you know, this is where you get into like what's acceptable in society. Hypothetically, there's nothing wrong with that if the person is a productive member of society. Yeah. So let's take uh, like Hong Kong. I won't get into the politics of Hong Kong, but you don't own a home unless your grandparents owned a home. And just because of the value of real estate and a city like Vancouver, while we do actually have a lot of room to still expand, there is going to be a point where that's going to start applying to major cities globally where you don't own a home unless your parents own a home. And so a lot of this, like, you know, me and you don't really like left wing ideology, but I would say the issue isn't always in their ideas. It's in the execution of application of their ideas and so the concept of a social construct, it's like if like, you know, I was living at home for quite some time and it's like people are like, oh, this is so weird. Like all my friends, parent, I'm like, I'm a martial artist. I don't make a lot of money. And it's like if I go ask people everywhere, are you living at home with your parents? You're seeing more and more people doing that. Yeah. And it's not necessarily because they're useless sacks of crap. It's because things are changing and it's not like it was in the 50s and 60s and it's more and more common because of the social requirements so the issue is are you preparing you to be a useless sack of crap on your parents couch 
or are you a productive member of society on your parents' couch? And there's a lot of confusion about the two, I think, because one is good for everybody. It's just a practical reality of limited space and et cetera. And the other one is all these whiny babies that demand everything without giving anything. You know, like I obviously don't, not a wealthy martial artist, but I'm contributing to society by offering something valuable to some people, right? So it's like, uh, some group of society will be like, you don't have a house in your 30s? It's like, no, can't afford that. I'm a martial artist, dude. Like, not happening. Yeah. Uh, I like it. And then people will look down and you be like, oh, you're a loser. And it's like, but am I? I'm contributing to society. I'm building people's mentalities. I'm helping them be better people. That's a worthwhile skill. You can call me that all you want. I don't think I am that. Versus some kid who works a minimum wage job, does nothing for society, goes home, gets drunk, and smokes weed every day. Yeah, nothing against the activity on itself. It's like, are they really contributing to society in a meaningful way? Eh. You know, what is that definitional things? And and I think humans have a tar- hard time adapting to the changing world around us. And you, there's that weird balance of what's being forced versus what's a natural evolution of things. Yeah. And I think at the moment we're in kind of the the world and society at large is in, at a point where things are, are starting to change. Technology is developing at a faster rate than society ever. is yeah. than ever, and that is a society can really catch up with. And like you say, the the schools were designed for you know factory and line workers and whatnot, which isn't really rel- that relevant anymore. But it takes longer to change the school system yeah. than the they don't want to change. Yeah, than how quickly everything is is developing. And then yeah, the flip side to that coin is well, you know, Steve Jobs went through the same school system you know thirty years ago, and and look what he did. So obviously it must be working. Like well, just because he's an was, exception to the rule. Yeah. But also just because it worked once doesn't mean there's not a better way of doing things. Yeah. Well, I think that's because we all look up to our heroes, although I'm not sure he's someone to look up to. Um, But that's the thing is we're looking at the exceptions to the rule as examples of guidelines of how we should operate. Let's take Elon Musk, for example, because I think he's a much better person to look up to than Steve Jobs. (laughs) Um, But um, you're not going to be Elon Musk. You talk to people who know that guy, who are also smart, uh, the, the co-founder of PayPal, uh, who's also a billionaire, I'm blanking on his name right now, and he will be like, oh, Peter Thiel. And he's like, if Elon's in the room, he's the smartest person there. And Peter Thiel's a really smart guy. Yeah. And we look up to people like Elon or people like, you know, some people Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, and these, these are exceptional people. You're not like them. You will never be them. It's not about positive attitude. It's not about working hard. It's their special. Yeah, you can be a great footballer. Like you are not going to be Tom Brady. No. Is he up for the Super Bowl again this weekend, I, I think? I believe so. Is, is, he, is he on Kansas? I can't remember. I, I was trying to... I saw a, a something on Facebook, and I, I don't follow yeah, sport at large, let alone American football. And it was a, a meme, something about... I don't know if he... I know he changed teams. I know he left the Patriots. For but, some reason. But it was, it was almost like he was playing in a different league or a different division or something. No, he just went re- to a really shitty team huh. for reasons. And they're in the Super Bowl now, which just shows you excellence yeah. can make the difference. And Tom Brady is an actually interesting 
again, I'm not really a sports person, but he's an interesting story of he's someone who more people could look up to than Steve Jobs or them because Steve Jobs and Elon Musk are exceptions to the rule. Tom Brady just worked his ass off. He got passed over like two, three, four times, worked his ass off to get the skills to be better. And he's a more example of the everyman success. And he he would be a better example. He's married to a supermodel. Yeah. He's the number one quarterback of all time. Super Christian, has a ridiculous yeah. diet. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he lives a Puritan lifestyle, but he works hard and gets, gets where he is. But if we're taking our heroes of like Elon Musk, it's like, you're not going to be him. Yeah. You, you can't be him. But what if I believe it's like, no. And I always use the example. I knew someone in high school. Little taller than me, like five. Actually, I'll use two examples. Guy was one guy was five seven. Really wanted to be in the NBA. I'm like, you're an idiot. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't ruin my dreams. You're being negative. I'm like, how tall are you? It's like five seven. You're not getting in the NBA. What's it? What's the shortest NBA player? And they'll usually quote someone who was there 50 years ago. Yeah, Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, and it's like, no. And then I had another friend, one of the best hockey players I knew, 130 pounds. 170 is considered small for NHL. Yeah, he couldn't even get to the lower like little AAA leagues because yeah. he's too small. Skill was absolute there. Yeah, he's like he was amazing. Not getting and and I am not friends with any of my high school friends anymore because quite frankly, I don't think they were very good friends. <laughs> they probably say the same about me, but yeah. whatever. Um, it's like it, when he finally had the adult realization, I'm never going to be in the NHL. He just sort of sat there on the couch. And did nothing because he lived a delusional lie that he was somehow going to be in the if NHL. You try hard enough, you will get there. And it's like sometimes that applies, but you're 130 pounds and you're not big enough and not tall enough, and that's just the rules of the game of the NHL. Or you're not smart enough, kid. Sorry. Like yeah. everyone wants to be special, but you're not unless you prove to the world you are special. And yeah. it's a hard thing for people to realize. Yeah, it can be, and that's I, I. I think there's a a quiet luxury in being very happy with your station in life, and that's something that I I'm not saying people shouldn't strive to improve themselves or be better or make more money or be smarter or get a promotion. Like that's that's not what I'm trying to say here. But as you say, you're never going to be Elon Musk. Yeah, I'm I'm never going to be a billionaire. Yeah. I, I can get promoted, I can make more money, I can live a comfortable lifestyle, but I'm never going to be a billionaire yeah. unless I win lotto. That one is never to say never, but it's very hard. To yeah. <laughs> Point being, I'm kind of, I'm happy with the fact that I I live, uh, I don't know, average income, average lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I, I don't get brand new cars every year. I don't own a house. So yeah. I have to save up for things that I want. And that, I'm I'm happy with my stationing life. I'm I'm not constantly stressing about the fact that I'm not good enough or I'm not getting better. Yeah. Um. And I I try to be where I am. And I like I said I I can try to be better and you know make a little bit more or do a little bit better in life. But I'm not going to freak out about the fact that you know I'm don't I'm, have ten Ferraris. Yeah. Exactly. And that gives me somewhat of a stress-free life yeah. or a, a, a less stressful life in the fact that I, I'm not constantly worrying about where I'm at and where I should be. And, you know, is my kid smarter than your kid yeah. or whatever? I'm like, the other day, Logan covered his whole face in nail polish. Right? 
<laughs> Sounds like a good idea. He's he's four. He's gonna do that. Like it's you know I'm and that's one thing I find really funny. Speaking about of, him. yeah. <laughs> Here are the kids. Here comes Ava, Ava and Logan. Hi. Uh, Adult stuff. Stuff. Fighting <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's one thing I find funny about um uh, people get really competitive. You know, it's funny as soon as you started talking about it, <laughs> boom, they knew they and they came up. down. Their ears were burning. <laughs> yeah, people get really competitive about their kind of, you know, their kids in, you know, this grade or this this you know, sport level of sports team or whatever. Yeah. Like especially at the young, young age, like kids man let them be kids like yeah. it's, i don't care if you know my kid sits there and eats paste in kindergarten like <laughs> i'm sure by the time he graduates high school he'll be fine like yeah. it's th- well you know it's funny you bring that up as particular in the covid era it's the more research they do they look into the fact that being overly hygienic is is he's showing me a giraffe that's a nice giraffe with some kind of uh, what inside him what's inside him Oh, it plays music. It's got a twister yeah. twist thing there. Okay. Logan, no touching anything. <laughs> yeah, don't touch the wires. <laughs> I'm talking into the microphone and we're recording. Oh. <laughs> okay, upstairs, please, Daddy. will come and say hi in a minute. Okay. And everyone will hear your awesome voice. Where were we? Uh kids in uh covid era and over oh yeah. yeah and it's like you know i'm a 90s kid and it's like i remember my parents weren't too bad about this is when like antibacterial soap, soap and and, yeah. and it just is like the aller- peanut allergy thing and it's like now we know the more you keep yourself clean the less your body can adapt to problems yeah. Let's build an immune system when we're young kids. And like, the overly anxious and overly clean people are the ones with the most health problems. Yeah. And I played in the mud and I didn't have, and I'm still not the cleanest person. And overall, I have a pretty decent immune system. Yeah. You know, you need to obviously clean your hands after you go to the washroom. But beyond that, it's like you don't need to be as clean as we've been told you have to and you'll be, you'll be okay. Exactly, man. I'm a carpenter at the moment, and I work on a construction site, and I've currently got one, two, three, four cuts on my hands, five, and it's a matter of I was working outdoors all today, all yesterday, all Monday, and I was picking up wood and mud and things off the ground and power tools. And and, then you eat. (laughs) And and then, then I stop for lunch, and I go, and I eat, and it's like... If I was constantly worried about, you know, washing my hands and sanitizing and antibacterial and whatnot, like yeah. I, the amount of, this is going to sound really bad, but the amount of times I bleed at work yeah. and it's just a matter of... Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> just, you know, wiping my hands on my pants that have been, you know, covered in God knows what from outdoors that we're working in. Like, uh, and I don't think twice about doing it because I'm not worried about getting an infection because yeah. I've been doing that my entire life. And yeah, yeah, no, I had that realization. Like I, I don't know. I, I, I think I might have been a bit more anxious as a child about cleanliness, even though I wasn't the cleanest person. But I was more like, we need to clean in this. And then I went to the army where you don't shower for five, six days <laughs> in the in our training, and yeah. you have sand in your food, and you eat it anyway. And you don't have antibacterial soap. 
and I slept in shit one time. My famous, I slept in pretty sure it was human shit. Oh, and uh, unintentional, kind of completely unintentional. And you just deal with it. And then I remember I came back and I had a hard time adjusting because everyone was so clean and so this. And I'm just like, you have, n- like, this isn't dirty. Like, this is, this is fine. I will show you dirty. I will show. And they're just, and, and I honestly believe, not for everybody, like PTSD for soldiers. Well, some of them, for sure, it's due to a specific traumatic event. A lot of them, it's the reintegration that gets them. Yeah. So I just want to cycle back for a second. Um, the the capital rights and everything. Oh, yeah. and the, the photos of the, the oh, National think... Guard sleeping in the car park and all these these politicians and these bleeding hearts. Oh, it's it's you know they they shouldn't have to be sleeping in in car parks and you know and you so told and so, them to sleep there, yeah, idiots. So and so gave up their office, to, you know, to, and then just the outpouring of like military vets on Facebook like do you know where the hell I've slept in my in my yeah. career what I would have given for a nice covered car park like. yeah, yeah well that's fine well they were told to go there uh, that whole thing was a cluster now, from a security perspective forget the politics what the fuck what the actual fuck like I think I talked about this a few podcasts ago is so you're telling me the FBI were not paying attention to the internet chatter didn't know that people were going to come and cause a ruckus. And a whole bunch of politicians at a whole bunch of levels decided to put the National Guard into the parking lot and sit there. And then the moment they were like, oh, shit, this might have gotten out of control. By the way, as violence goes, not that bad. No, It was not that bad. Really and truly, it was more like a clown show of people just being stupid. Yeah, the soccer rights have caused more damage. Yes, and yes, people did die, like four or five people. But as violence goes, that could have been a whole lot worse. Oh, yeah. By a long shot. And it was completely preventable if they had just told them to stand there and do their jobs. Because if you actually look, and nobody talks about it, as soon as the National Guard was told, come on. They kicked the crap out of the protesters. Oh, yeah. Very quickly. And it's like, this is all politics. It's smoke and mirror bullshit because it's like, where was the security? And how did they storm the Capitol building given that you clearly knew this was going to happen? And be like, oh, we couldn't have known that was going to happen. I was like, are you an idiot? Either you're an idiot or you purposely put, let, it happen, let it happen so, you know, so that it makes people look bad. Yeah. Right, I won't get too into it, but I'm just from a pure security perspective. There's a lot of failures in a, in particular in American security for political gain, where people yeah. don't do their the 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 Florida Pulse nightclub, for example, mm-hmm. one of their biggest shootings ever. That guy was on the FBI wanted list or not wanted like watch, watch list. Yeah. Law enforcement failed at all levels, and they blamed the NRA. It's like no, 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 no. no. Law enforcement was playing politics with this guy. It's yeah. kind of like the Nova Scotia shooter in Canada, which is leading to all this nonsense gun grab in Canada. And it's like, that guy should have been in jail like five years before yeah. he shot up the place in Nova Scotia. Oh, wait, the RCMP knew about him? People have been complaining about him for years? And then you have some... It, it sounds conspiratorial, but it's actually not when you have people saying stuff like, well, hold on a second. he really, The guy received a large sum of money in his bank account in a way that the only people who can do it in that way, what that way is, I'm not entirely sure, yeah. is the RCMP paying undercover informants. No. <laughs> and it kind of got swept under the rug. Yeah. And it's like you see these when these a lot of this stuff happens, there's a lot of politics. 
that plays in. Because if you look at pure security protocol and pure like intelligence gathering, it's like these things a lot. Not always. If it's a true lone wolf, yeah, they're not preventable. But a lot of these are preventable. If someone's been reported for ten years, yeah, or they're on a watch list, if someone's been doing their job properly. Then yeah. if people are doing their jobs, these things shouldn't happen. If the security had been there in capital riots, no one would have died. And that's the uh, politics. Yeah, politics and Americans are weird, but like we, this was a couple of years ago now. Oh shit! I say a couple. I'm old. (laughs) It was probably closer to ten. There was this was back in the days of John Howard. I don't know if anyone knows, but uh, probably not. I don't know who that is. Okay, so John Howard was Australia's probably most popular prime minister ever, and he was in power for about fucking fifteen years. Yeah, because he was just he was great. Yeah, um, and he he was very famous for walking. He uh, used to do his power walks every morning. He had like a one of those eighties style like Australian Olympic team matching kind of yeah. sweatsuit things anywhere in the world he'd be in the power US guy. meeting you know whatever and he'd be out for his power walk in the morning sort of thing and at least he kept his shirt on not like our uh... <laughs> oh God. Well, well we've got it uh, Tony Abbott was he was our prime minister not long ago and he was avid swimmer uh, like beach swimmer yeah. and he I don't know how or why but he used to give press conferences on the beach in his budgie smugglers. Isn't that like, so I assume in, that means tidy whities or something. Speedo. Speedo, like, uh, yeah. Speedo, yeah. And it was like, he was known for that was his thing. He was, he was fit. He used to go down to his surf life saving, swimming and whatnot. Wasn't he like super conservative, Tony Abbott? Uh, by Australian st- or by our standard? I don't even know. No, he was, he was conservative and he was religious and he was also just a bit of an idiot. Yeah. Not quite to Bush standards, but... Uh, he wasn't a bad prime minister. The decisions he made and the policies he did wasn't bad. Yeah. But he did things like he was out on a, a farm tour and uh, there was some old crusty farmer that was there and he was this many years old and he was, what's his secret? And the idea is like, oh, you know, I eat raw onion like every day. It's great, this, that, and the other. So Tony, Abbott, <laughs> Tony Abbott picks up a brown onion yeah. raw off the you know the cart where they're bringing it in and just takes a bite out of it like an apple yeah now i'm sure this guy was talking about like he puts raw white onion in his salads or in sandwiches or something but no tony abbott on camera just decides to take a big bite out <laughs> I, think of I was raw, watching a, a cartoon onion. where they did that yeah. anyways <laughs> besides point anyway um so john howard's out doing his power walk and there was some some kids there that were univer- uh, high school students they were doing like a little science thing and this kid Big fan of John Howard and a little bit weird if you ask me, but tried to run up and give John Howard a hug. Our prime minister yeah. happened to have a screwdriver in his hand oh, because geez. because he was in the middle of doing this science thing. And then the John Howard's private security ex SAS whatever you know kind of intervened and whatnot. And okay, this is an Australian news story for yeah. like a, there was an attempt on John Howard's life. You know, no, no, there wasn't. Um, it's like the shoe in Bush. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And yeah, and that, like I just say, the difference between Americans are weird with their security and whatnot. I don't see how a building as important as the Capitol building wouldn't at all times just have adequate security to deal with something like that. Well, my understanding in a general sense, it is is a public building. But with that being said, you have national tensions... A, regardless of what you believe, people were contesting the election. Like, election, like yeah. whatever you believe, it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's tension. Maybe we should have proper security because the National Guard was ready, but they were called off. 
by a whole bunch of people. It's not just, you know, people will try to blame it on one person. Mainly they'll try to blame it on Trump, but it's like, mm, no, a lot of people made a lot of stupid decisions for I'm this to happen. I'm pretty sure as soon as he found out that the National Guard was called off, he was like, what the fuck are you doing? Get them there now. Yeah. Well, I think it was, it ended up being uh, the vice president, what's his name? Pence. Uh, Pence actually ended up getting the order in the end, but Trump wanted the National Guard there from the start, to my understanding, and it was local politicians and other people politicians on the basis that they, I believe, thought we were too heavy-handed on other protests, meaning the Black Lives Matter ones, which is totally different, completely different context, and it's the capital. Yeah. The hell is wrong with you idiots? It's, you know, there's a meme going around the internet that kept getting pulled, and I think it's actually, it's kind of true. It's, it shows a picture of the Congress and senators cowering under seats. The doors are locked saying, and these are the people who are telling police how to do their jobs. Yeah. And it has a valid point is they don't understand proper protocol yeah. and, and what to do. And they don't understand use of force. And, uh, you know, a lot, I've, again, you know, it's a notable event in American history and it made global news. I think it's a lot to do with the anti-Trump attitude. Um, as again, as violence, they, Myanmar just had a military coup. Yeah, <laughs> like the the prime minister. Again, I I do not know much about Myanmar. Um, very popular president, female president in Myanmar. Let's just put that out there. Yeah. So you know we can talk about sex. If Myanmar can have a female president, it's called pick a good candidate, you morons. You know what's funny? I want to cut you in there one day. I was watching, this is a video on, it was a, a YouTube video and it was two CNN anchors and they were clearly trying to make uh, this world political advisor look like an idiot. Yeah. And it just completely backfired on them. And the funniest thing was they didn't seem to understand that it backfired on them. Yeah. And they were talking about they were talking about Muslims and Muslim countries and treat, treatment of women and whatnot. And they're saying, oh, we, we find in Muslim countries this and we find in Muslim countries that. And this guy repeatedly keeps saying, stop saying Muslim countries. These aren't Muslim countries. And he's like, yes, tre- treatment of women in Saudi Arabia is horrible. That is a Saudi Arabian problem. Treatment of you know women in this country is horrible. That is, you know, that is a, a problem for that country. And he brought out this statistic and he said, the, you know, Muslim, the two biggest Muslim countries around the world have elected more female heads of state than anyone else in the world. Yeah. And we're talking about countries like Turkey, countries like Indonesia, um, that are, are very, very like they're like ninety percent well, Muslim. I would say this: the average person doesn't understand the difference between the Arab Muslim nations and the non-Arab Muslim nations. Yeah. And again, I think that's what this guy's point was. Yeah. He was trying to say, like, this is a Saudi Arabian problem. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a UAE problem, not a Muslim problem. And these two CNN anchors like, oh, no, you, you don't understand this guy. And they ended up just looking like complete and utter twats. Oh, yeah. Well, because, like, Turkey's, they're Turkish. They're not Arab. And Turkey's a whole different problem right now. Yeah. Most of people, when they think Muslim, they think Arab nations. Yeah. Right? Most originating Arabs coming out of Saudi Arabia, and they spread... And then you have Iran, which are not Arabs. They're Iranian. And, or Persian, depending on who you talk to. Well, they're either Persian, Iranian, or they're actually Afghani. Because 40% of Iran is, or give or take, is ethnically Afghani. And they're seen as second-class citizens there. And the idea of, oh, we're Persian. I'm like, well, 
Persian Empire kind of hasn't existed forever. Yeah. And I don't know how close culturally you guys are, or even ethnically, I'm not even sure, to the original Persian Empire at yeah. this point. And then, you know, like, Malaysia is one of the biggest Muslim country. Well, they're Asian Muslims. They have very different cultural beliefs. Oh, very different values, yeah. They're still Muslim. With There are certain issues there, but it's a completely different culture. Yeah. And that's, again, like you hear a lot of the, oh, and, you know, today in office, uh, Biden signed an executive order, you know. A million remo- of them. <laughs> yeah, removing Trump's Muslim ban. Well, no, he didn't ban Muslims. Yeah. He banned certain countries. And, again, he left out. And it was temporary. Yeah, and he left out Turkey. He left out Malaysia. He left out uh, Indonesia. Like, the biggest Muslim countries yeah. in the world were not on his banned list. Well, what it has to do with is the average person. I, I was hearing an argument on Dave Rubin is that in America, average people don't know basic civics, as in they don't know what the legislative branch is for, and they don't know what the executive and the judicial branch is for. They don't understand that. And I would say that's the same in most countries. People don't understand how their country is supposed to work. And that's why politicians can get away with the metaphorical murder yeah. because the average person doesn't understand what a shit show these people are. Like Canadians who are obsessed with Trump, anti-Trump, just need to look to our own prime minister to look at a corrupt piece of shit. Yeah, like, who's broken how many, every law he could possibly break. How many scandals has he had? Like it's Oh, and he gave SNC-Lavalin a $150 million no-bid contract again because of COVID, they buried it. Again. That motherfucker has broken so many goddamn laws, outright broken the law, ethics thing, and Canadians are still mad at the American thing. But he looks good with his shirt off. No, I, most people think he's a piece of shit. It's just that everyone is... No, we're too polite here to stand up and be like, get this loser out. Yeah. Get him out now. Which is interesting. You mentioned it was in one of your uh, your blog posts uh, about COVID, and you were talking about how in uh, like Thailand and uh, South Korea, they don't... Put Taiwan. Up, sorry, Taiwan, yeah. Uh, they don't put up with corrupt politicians. Yeah, they don't. Like, yeah, I remember a few, many years ago, I forgot, it was within the last 10 years, the Prime Minister of Korea, who was a woman, uh, so women can be corrupt too. I don't know the specifics of it. Something to do with corruption and Samsung, which is one of Korea's bigger companies. Yeah. And the outpour of public demand for her resignation was almost immediate. So my point was, and I didn't go into depth in that, was that, Governments here will be like, their public does what they're told, like wearing masks. And it's like, their public also kicks out corrupt politicians their immediately. Poli- their politicians do what they're told. Yes. And it's like, you're playing on the fact that the most Canadians or Americans, I'm sorry, are ignorant and know nothing about anything, despite the claims that they do. But I, to be fair, you could say that about any world, any country in the world. Yeah. Like when I was in Israel, I was disappointed. It's such an educated nation, but I was disappointed with how little they actually really understood of other cultures. Yeah. Because it is kind of a monoculture, even though they'll be like, we have Russians and we have French and we have Spanish. It's like they're either Jewish or Arab. That's kind of the, t- and Russian. Yeah. This, these, these are prevailing cultures. Beyond that, there's, it actually is not very diverse in it is and it isn't. And it's very strange, right? Yeah. I've actually been meaning to ask you about that because this crossed my mind the other day. I was like, where, I mean, you, you're, you're Jewish. Yeah. Where do you see, 
being Jewish? Is it is it uh, a religion? Is it's it all an ethnicity? It's is everything. it? I know that that's what's really weird. It's like, confusing. If like if you go to Israel and uh, let's say me, I'm I'm Caucasian. I grew yeah. up in Australia. If I then say, all right, I'm going to com- I'm going to convert to Judaism, and I go down to my my local temple, and I you have I, to nip the tip first of all. Well, I grew up in the era where that that happened anyway, so you know. So you're fine. That's the hardest gonna... <laughs> thing for a lot of guys. So anyway, so I I grew that, and I I religiously I become Jewish. Yeah. Am I looked down as like, am I not a real Jew because I'm not genealogically Jewish? If you do the proper conversion, you'll be looked on as a Jew. Okay. Here's the deal. You can't just convert to Judaism. Other than you need to have nip the tip, the rabbis have to believe that you want to be Jewish. You can't just be like, I'm Jewish. It's not like Christianity's various forms. You can't be like, I'm converting. Yay. Good. Right. You, they have to believe you genuinely want to be Jewish and for it to be recognized in the state of Israel, regardless of whether you believe it or not, it's got to be an Orthodox conversion. Okay. You don't have to be Orthodox, like Orthodox Jewish. Mm. It's got to be like strict and they'll grill you and it's a long, hard process. That's why most people choose Buddhism over Judaism <laughs> when they want to convert Cause away because it's, yeah. it's a lot easier. Yeah. And, but they will. So like, Ethnically or genetically, I am mostly Ashkenazi Jew with some Irish thrown in there from my Irish-Canadian lineage. Okay. Um, culturally, I didn't really grow up that Jewish, to be honest. Like, I went to Sunday school when I was younger, Jewish Sunday school. Uh, you know, I did, we observed the major Jewish holidays. But he, my mother's mother was a prairie girl. Catholic converted. Okay. So there's a lot of her mannerisms and behaviors are not a traditional Jewish mother. They're more of a prairie okay. girl. So culturally, I didn't really grow up that Jewish. And as I got older, my dad sort of became less Jewish. He grew up in an Orthodox English home. And back in the day, there was only Orthodox Judaism. Post-World War II, you basically, it started splitting a lot. Yeah. Um. Now, ethnically, there's three, four major flavors of ethnic Jews and genetic, like genetic lineage. Then there's the different levels of religion. Now, in Israel, you're either secular or you're religious. Okay. Globally, Jewry, as they will say, is like you're a reconstructionist, you're a reformist, you're conservative, you're orthodox, you're ultra-orthodox, you're Chabad, like the different sects and and levels. 80% of Israel is secular. But they're still way more culturally Jewish than the average secular Jew in North America or Canada. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that makes sense, I guess. Right. And then you have like, so culturally and ethnically or ethnically and then culturally you have Mizrahi, Svartic and Ashkenazi Jews and then you have the Ethiopians. And then you could throw the Russians in there. They're more Russian than anything. And half of the Russian Jews in Israel, it's questionable whether they're either even Jewish and, and a lot of them probably aren't. They just used it as an excuse to get the fuck out of the USSR <laughs> well, because Israel was like bringing Jews in. So yeah. um, Ashkenazi Jews are Jews who were in Eastern Europe predominantly, Poland, Germany, etc. I think that's my foot on the oh. table. Uh, Sephardic Jews were Jews who were in Spain and had a very culturally different attitude to Judaism and some of the mannerisms are different and left Spain during the Spanish Inquisition and went to North Africa. So the Sephardic. Mizrahi Jews are Jews that stayed in the Middle East the whole time. And you can it's actually interesting genetically you can trace back Ashkenazi and Sephardic Jews to 
when the Romans sacked the temple in 70 AD and they oh. took all the slaves to Rome and yeah. a lot of Ashkenazi and Sephardics can actually trace a Roman lineage due to rape and pillaging, yeah. etc. And a lot of Mizrahi Jews can trace their lineage back to the sacking of the first temple in like 300 BC where they, the Babylonians took prisoners oh, or whatever Babylon. back to, was it Babylon? I can't Whoever the hell sacked it yeah. the first time. So it's interesting you get the genetic lineage. So culturally, Ashkenazi Jews are their kind of own religious practices versus Sephardic and Mizrahi, which have a much more similar... It's really funny yeah. listening to you say these Jewish Mizrahi words. And kind of, it's not even so much the accent, but it's just yeah, the, the way these words come out. Yeah, and, and, it, and it is confusing because, like, say, I want to be a Christian, it, my ethnic background is irrelevant. It's yeah. unchristian. What kind of Christian? Okay, that's it. Because you can be whatever ethnic background you're Christian. Yeah. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Catholics. You're Christians. Shut the fuck up. Is Christ part of your religion? You're Christian. Yeah. Get over it. See, that's that's interesting. I, w- I was raised Catholic. Yeah. Um, I went through. I did my confirmation, my Holy Communion, reconciliation, all that jazz. I'm probably more atheist than anything else these days. Yeah. That being said. I was married in the Catholic Church, and my children have all been baptized. Yeah. Um, and my daughter currently goes to a Catholic primary school, which, yeah. which probably has better education overall than the general public schools. But yes, but it, <laughs> it, oh, she came she came home the other day talking something about the body of Christ compels you. I don't know. No, no, it was something about did you know God made all of this or something or other. Yeah. I was like, and I, I'm really I'm sort of biting my tongue hard. Yeah, because I. She's too young for me to really talk to her about not necessarily options, but let's be skeptical. Yeah. Um, skeptical hippo eyes. To be honest, if you're looking at the basic Catholic ideals, let's be nice to people, let's yeah. forgive people. That's generally at, most religions tend yeah. to have that as a basis yeah. until it goes sideways. At at her age it's, you know, I'm gonna kinda gonna kinda let it go a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And you know, um, Oh, I totally lost my train of thought saying something. Oh, I'm getting yeah. getting old. It's funny, though. It's like you were saying that oh, most, no. most North Americans or most people, you know, at large don't know what their uh, their government does or don't or know anything. anything and whatnot. You've just sat there and given me quite a, what I would consider, semi-detailed history of the, the Jewish faith. Very loose history. <laughs> a very loose history uh, throughout the world. But could most Catholics give you the same kind of, uh, you know, history of Catholicism that you just gave nope. me. Yeah, and, and it's, it's just kind of interesting, like you say, that you're talking about how the general public is, I don't want to say uneducated, but maybe undereducated as to, you know, what they could be, could know about. Yeah. Um, and obviously yours comes from, you know, your heritage and your faith and whatnot, and then, you know, on to, you know, politics and other things. Yeah. But I, I've had religious theological discussions with people my mum is still quite quite catholic and it's just interesting to see like especially people these days are they more interested in what the latest tiktok is or are they more interested in learning something that might actually cultivate an interesting conversation yeah well i I remember what i was going to say i hold remember that point yes i'll come back to it i'll ask you come back to it was i often thought like so I went through the period when I was younger where it's like I'm atheist and I'm anti-religious. And I'm not a religious person now, but I'm more accepting of religion as long as you're not a douche about it. Uh, ben Shapiro actually convinced me. Um, and the question was, if I have 
if I'm like I dated a couple of girls who weren't like religious, religious, but they went to church. Right. And I, I can date other cross culturally. I've, I even dated a Muslim once when I was younger. It doesn't bother me. But it's more to do like, OK, if kids are involved, how is this going to change things? And that, that can be kind of. Yes, it's a challenge. And I often said, OK, if they want to take the kid to church every day. Even though I don't want to, I'm going to take them to synagogue weekly. Not yeah. because I give a shit about the religion per se. But you want balance. I want perspective. Yeah. And I do not want them to be brainwashed from one perspective or another. And it's like, I yeah. really hate going to religion personally or anything, but I will do it because I don't want them to have a singular biased opinion on this, you know, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. So my mother-in-law's eyes quite, quite Catholic. Um, oh. And same as my mother. It's funny, both my father and father-in-law are less interested in religion. Yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, my father-in-law made a speech at, uh, at our wedding. And my wife, uh, she was born in Trinidad. Um, and then her family moved to Canada when she was, I want to say, two. Um, and then they, they emigrated and stayed here. Then she went traveling when she was in her mid-20s. She decided she was going to up and go and see the world. Yeah. And she did a, a East Coast of Australia. Then she did New Zealand. Commonwealth. You can travel. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Visa-free up until a certain age, I think. Yeah. And uh, then she landed in Perth. And that's where we met. And her mom said to her, the story I was told was, when she was leaving on that first day, you know, didn't know she wasn't going to be home for five years, kind of. Yeah. Mum said to her, I, I just have a feeling you're going to meet someone. Yeah. And so the story was told. Uh, but apparently there were there were rules, un, un, unwritten, unspoken <laughs> rules. Uh, Krista was a smoker when we first met. And uh, her parents wanted, if she was going to meet someone from overseas and get married, they had to be a non-smoker, yeah. which I am. They had to be from Perth because... Yeah. Uh, it's a very specific thing. Well, Krista's <laughs> auntie, her mum's sister, lives in Perth. Yeah. Uh, and she's got a couple of cousins. So there's family in there. And they figured if they're going to, you know, come across the world to, you know, go and visit, you know, family, they're going to do a two for one. And they had we call to call that a twofer. A twofer. <laughs> and they had to be Catholic, yeah. which, for lack of a better word, I was. So I kind of. On paper. <laughs> <laughs> on paper, yeah. Uh, if you actually. Yeah, um, on paper I'm Catholic, and my the the priest that did our uh, wedding ceremony was actually the local priest at my parents' church or my mum's church, and very good friends. Been over their house for dinner a couple of times, and he he kind of fudged the books a little bit to to get us married, which I thought was very very kind of non priestly, <laughs> but uh, very good in our sense. We uh, went for our little meeting with the priest, where we you know talked about you know things we want to get married, and this that and the other. And he was asking us kind of how long we'd known each other and how long we'd been together. Yeah. And ours was a bit of a whirlwind romance, so to speak. So we met in about July. We were living together by, I think, October. That New Year's Eve, I'd proposed and then we were married the next March. Yeah. Minus the proposal. That's most of my relationship. <laughs> Meet, whoa, live and just go. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of gone through everything. He's like, oh, we'll just... So you've only been together for this long? We'll just backdate that a little bit to uh, to keep everybody happy, you know. So yeah, 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 yeah. Lovely guy, nice guy, and he actually ended up he baptized uh, uh, Ava as well. Oh, yeah. She was she was born in Australia, so he did the baptism for so her. So she's got the dual. Yes. So they actually both have duels. So yeah. um, it really easy for them. Yeah. Um, being that it was oddly enough, Australia is the big bigger cash grab 
for us to get Ava Canadian citizenship yeah. through um, lineage was about 50 bucks. Yeah. Logan, about 300 bucks. To yeah. get, he was born in Canada to get yeah. him uh, Australian, Australian citizenship. Yeah. So Aussie was the bigger cash grab there. Yeah, well, you know, you have less population over there. We do, and, you know, they all live within about 45 minutes of the coast. So Yeah, yeah in the middle. I still haven't been to Australia. One day I'll go. Not this year. Traveling is insane right now. <laughs> no, it's uh, ruined everything. If you're going to go, you're, you're going to need to be vaccinated. Is that what they're standing by these days? Well, Qantas recently released uh, uh, a mandate saying if you want to get on a Qantas plane, yeah. you need proof of vaccination. Yeah. And it's funny, someone on, a friend of a friend on Facebook commented and was like, oh, well, I guess I'm never going to Australia then. And then my friend commented back and said, oh, you know, it's just one airline. Yeah. But Australia at the moment, the way they're going, yeah. I would very much suggest that in the next couple of months, if you want to get access yeah. into Australia, you're going to need proof of vaccination. I find Australia politically fascinating because in some ways you're the most, you're super progressive. And in other ways, you're really racist. And it's just this weird, and like Australians don't see themselves as racist, but then I've heard a lot of Australians say things. I'm like, Ugh. but then you're really progressive. And I'm like really confused about the attitude of Australians. We're, we're complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know what you mean. And I've, I've read many articles about how, you know, Australia is the most racist country in the world. And yeah. I'm like, it's one of those things that you you have to grow up there. Yeah. And if you grow up there, you would kind of understand. And I know that's... Well, that's pretty much any country, yeah. right? But I, I just the way I was sort of saying, I know that sounds weird, but like, let's say, for example, just picking some random topic out of the air, you know, beating your wife. Yeah. If you, you, know, you grew up in country Z and in country Z, you know, beating your wife is the done thing to do. And yeah. then anyone not from that country looks at it and says, oh, that's, that's wrong. That's really weird. Like, yeah. no, you can't do that. Yeah, I get it. That's, that's wrong. It's not that Australians are racist in any sense like that, where we're doing something that the rest of the world just kind of obviously sees as really wrong. Yeah. But we have racial tensions in Australia. We do. Yeah. But we have very different racial tensions. To you say mean America. different cultures and different countries have different problems that are similar on, in theory, but not the same. I, I know. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Yeah, I know, you know, universally, people aren't all 100% the same. Yeah. But yeah, we have very different racial tensions to say America. And you get these little sound bites of news. And it, this is, I found this really funny coming from Australia, where we get... 10 seconds 30 seconds of cnn on australian news yeah. and they hope that in. channel i hope they die and go to hell yeah. cnn fox news yeah. whatever it is and then you come to canada where you can actually get cnn and you can yeah. get the full story so you get these little snippets of these in australia these little snippets of these news of you know things that are happening in america and then america being the bigger country america being the leader of the western world in air not for and long and whatnot yeah well they could be going mad max before australia at this point yeah um australians can survive that most americans probably, probably can't yeah. at least in the democratic states that are yeah. mostly cities yeah but people keep trying to equate the racial tensions in america to the racial tensions in australia yeah and they're not the same thing they're, they're really not the same thing and when you look at what Australia does that might be considered racist by American standards, you might look at that and say, oh, okay, yeah, this, this, this is racist, the way we deal with this or the way we talk about that. 
but like I said, when you grow up there, when when you actually get down to the root of the the problem, it's it's not the same. Yeah. And I mean, it's we're talking about basically black people here. Yeah. Black people in America were brought over from Africa as slaves. Yeah. And then had a civil war emancipation emancipation proclamation blah blah that slavery was gone there was all these black people there but then there was a bunch of really racist people that Jim Crow laws etc it's thought that black people should really still be slaves and they're coming out of that it's very different to the fact that Australian Aboriginals lived in Australia they were a nomadic tribes that had been like there for thousands of years, years or something. and then white people turned up and were like oh this is ours now yeah and the Aboriginals were like what do you mean we don't have a word for ours. Nobody owns anything. A little known fact that there, there Crocodiles is... Crocodile Dundee talks about it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there is no... In native Aboriginal languages, there, like, there is no word for ownership. Yeah. Everything is community. Everything is tribal. Which is, you know, again, I'm not an expert at all, but it's my understanding that a, a village or tribe that speaks one language could walk like 20 kilometers and they don't understand each other in Australia. Is that true or... Uh, that, Give or take. That I don't know. Like originally, obviously not now. A lot of them can communicate. Yeah, yeah. But. I I would believe that, yeah. but I I couldn't say for sure. Yeah. So I just it's interesting that these tribes all over the place, I guess, couldn't communicate properly, and yet they all had that similar ideology. It's fascinating. They did, but there there wasn't a lot of traveling done. Yeah. Like, and that's the other thing. There was they would kind of travel seasonally almost yeah well that's how i think most people did yeah. for thousands of years <laughs> uh, that being said seasons in australia aren't as you, you know, have as summer intense as they are here mild summer and hot summer <laughs> yeah um and it was more about you know availability of food and water and whatnot yeah and uh, which again most people probably did back in those days um so th- there wasn't a lot of like there would have been no you know aboriginals from the west coast of australia ever traveling to the east coast of australia yeah that would have well, by foot you'd kill yourself probably yeah back there, in the day. there was just, there, i mean there was no way to do it because there wasn't water sources yeah. all the way through so they just couldn't so but yeah it's interesting the fact that they all kind of grew up with their very similar ideologies kind of uh histories almost and and sort of um yeah cultures yeah but yeah so and that's what ultimately got in the very early days of colonization, white people turned up and they started farming. They brought sheep and cows and, you know, some Aboriginals would turn up and be like, oh, I'm going to eat that. Yeah. And they'd go and they'd spear a sheep and they'd try and take it off and the farmer would be like, what are you doing? This sheep's mine. And they're like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean mine? I didn't know. It's it's a sheep. I saw it. I, I'm hungry. I want to eat it. Yeah. And that's where they, like way back in the colonial days where they would be getting you know, charged for poaching and things like this. And yeah. I'm not saying what went on was right. Yeah. I'm not trying to defend the colonists there, but it, it's just, that's the way it was. And then they've now got the the idea that they're, it's not, it sounds bad, their land was stolen. Yeah. And they're, they're, there's a big thing with a stolen generation. Which is ironic if they don't believe in ours traditionally, yeah. right? I think it's, it's, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, and, but... <laughs> Like it's just, and you can see where the, where those racial tensions are going to divide very quickly between I was brought here as a slave against my will to this land is culturally mine and you're a foreigner. Yeah, and you can see how that's going to split quite quickly and create yeah. very different tensions. Yeah, and whilst you might see it on the on the surface as being oh it's white people versus black people and it's slaves versus slave owners, it must be the same. 
Well, I'd like to point it's, out, it's really not. in the 21st century, there is still slavery. Oh, yes. And it's mostly black-on-black slavery and Arab-on-black slavery or Arab-on-Arab. Arab. It's just the reality. There's quite of a lot of Asian slavery. What's well. going on. Yeah. Actually, not to pick on those cultures, let's go more generic. I forgot what I was listening to, BBC something, and they said in the last 15 years, child sex trafficking has gone up. Three, like it's three times more than it used to be. I'd probably believe in that. the last fifteen years, yeah. which is like, so it's the perspectives of uh, Westerners. We're we're delusional about how the human condition oh, is. We live in a bubble. Now, historically, throughout most of human history, I came, I saw, I conquered. It's mine, and you don't have to agree with that, but that's how it was. Yeah. So, like, let's take Israel, for example, which I know a lot more about than a lot of other places. Very interesting history of that yeah. kind of thing as well. Oh, the Arabs were here. No, the Jews were here. For, uh, first of all, you have to be a moron who doesn't know anything about anything to think that the Jews weren't in modern times there first. Let's just put that. And then argument about, oh, the, the, the Belfort Declaration or the British agreed this to the Arabs and they this to the Jews and they went back and forth. And, and I'm like, you know what? Because we can get into all sorts of arguments about this and that and who was there first and whatever. I'm like, in 1948, we won the war. Fuck off. And then we defended the border multiple times. It's ours now. Yeah. And it's actually probably one of the last times in modern history that someone defended the borders and kept it, and it's just the way it is. Moving forward, people are like, that's not, it's unacceptable. It's like throughout history, that's how it was done. Yeah. It doesn't happen very much anymore. And that's the thing. Like you say that back in the day, back in the ancient day, borders and countries and nations, the map moved all the so time. much all, all the, the time. time. If you look at European map throughout oh, the yeah. Middle Ages, it's just constantly changing. At this point in time, I'd be willing to say this is pretty much the map we're going to have for the rest of... Until we go like full-on globalized, like crazy... Yeah, and, until we start colonizing Mars, like it's... Well, what is it? Uh, Jeff Bozos stepped down from the CEO Amazon, of Amazon yeah. because he wants to probably go head-to-head with Elon Musk for space travel. He basically started some new thing. I, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. I knew he stepped down. He was going to go on to other He's ventures. not down yet, but that's what it is. They want to work on getting off the planet. I read, speaking of off-planet, and I'm sketchy on the details here, so I do apologize, but I read a really interesting article talking about Mars isn't our savior. And I want to say Saturn was the, the planet that we One of the at. planets. Uh, sorry, moons of Jupiter or Saturn, I believe. No, it, it was Eos. Saturn, I think, that we're talking yeah, about. One of the, but it's one of the plan- uh, moons. It wouldn't be Saturn or Jupiter. We, we could not survive there. No, this is what they were saying. Yeah. They were the like atmosphere of Saturn's made of whatever gas. Yeah. And you could fill big balloons with a different gas, which can create like will give you a whole bunch of buoyancy basically here's what i say that not to cut you off you're living in a dream world because we don't have the capabilities to set that up in the next near future even if it's hypothetically possible it's it's a pipe dream at this point the way this article was written uh he seemed to think it was more feasible than trying to set up terraforming on mars because there was he said it was nitrogen rich in the atmosphere which we could use to just propagate. fly a shit ton of coal tomorrow, burn it in the atmosphere. It's, it's very <laughs> rudimentary. Yeah. Uh, my science is not there on, on terraforming, clearly. It doesn't seem... The hardest thing 
to do about at this point with our technology get is get there yeah. and get back. Back's the issue. So it's about the fuel. Again, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but it's about the fuel and payload ratio, just mm. the cost. It's not about the technology. It's the cost. Yeah. We hypothetically have the technology to live on Mars. We, we actually have sufficient technology. It's just the money to do it is in the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And at this point, there's no will per se. There is, but not really. It's not urgent. Yeah, and I actually, I, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong as a species to try to colonize and move on. Um, and speaking of, a, both from a scientific perspective, my understanding, and just a general good story, um, The Expanse, the TV yeah. show, is so good as far as what a probable future solar system looks like. It's pretty realistic. Um, but I like to take almost Neil deGrasse Tyson's attitude. It's just like, What's wrong with the planet we have? Like, why don't we just not fuck it up? Yeah. And, you know, way off topic from Krav Maga, but like climate change. You have to be, I'm sorry, a moron to sit here and say humans are not affecting the planet. But you also have to be a complete moron, in my opinion, to say we're going to destroy the planet in the next 50 years or 100 years. They're both stupid stances. Yeah. Now, on the argument of, Humans are affecting planet. The simplest one is pollution. In particular, garbage in the ocean. Oh, yeah. It's visible. It's observable. It's affecting the food chain, which translates. That's, that should be what people are the most focused on because we don't understand really the ocean. Like we think we do, but we don't. No. How it affects the whole global everything. We know more about space than we do about the ocean. <laughs> Clean up the oceans. That's a really good place to start, in my opinion, about just overall environmentalist. And yes, is our in- industrial revolutions and all that stuff heating up the planet? To a degree. The attitude of we're going to kill ourselves in the next 100 years, you're a moron. You're, you're, you're stupid. Yeah. I, have no, I have no nice way to say it. The Earth has been hit by meteors multiple times, wiped everything out, and it survived. Do you honestly believe we're going to fuck it up in 100 years with that bad? Oh, this year it's a one degree. Next year it's two. No, it's really five. It's a moving goalpost thing. Now, with that being said, should we find renewable energy? Yes. Yes. We have it. It's called nuclear energy. But the general public's attitude is terrified of it and scientists are cowards they don't want to educate on the new technology we have that is basically impossible to have nuclear meltdowns right let me ask you a question how many nuclear reactors have publicly melted down in the history of man Uh, i want to say something around three yeah three one of them we don't ever talk about because they contained it really fast that one was in america which followed the safety protocols (laughs) Shit, no, you're saying safety protocols worked? Yes, and the issue with the meltdowns was the Gen 1-2 reactors are not advanced. Chernobyl was a fucking nuclear reactor in a hole in the ground that was concrete. How is that? That's not going to go well. Yeah. Fukushima, it was human error over several years of let's ignore it because of cultural it's cultural issues. We can't admit we're wrong because I'll get fired. It's a great shame to my family. You have to acknowledge that as an issue in Fukushima. Three Mile Island, Wait, what's Three Mile Island? I don't remember that one. Yeah, because it had a meltdown and they contained it. That was it. Yeah. Gen 5 reactors have no nuclear waste. Basically, you set them up and they run. 
they've built in a way that they if they melt down they shut down completely all this talk about wind and solar we're not there yet build a new gen 5 nuclear reactors now my argument is do you want flying cars I want flying cars sort of we need compact nuclear reactors or something compu- yeah. comparable to that. Because current battery technology yeah, it's is not the, there yet. the weight's just, yeah. It's just too heavy and it's not there yet. And I think just everyone's making the stupid arguments to do with politics and money. It's not They're not making logical arguments. It's like, are we going to catastrophically destroy this planet in the next hundred years because of climate change? No, no, we are not. You know what's interesting about that? I, I would really love, and if anybody that hears this can knows or has data please by all means try and get it to me i would love to know a point in the earth's history any point where the climate has actually been stable where it actually hasn't been changing to some degree yeah that's about what has i mean so what so that's a good question and again i without looking at the data it's like for sure we were warming up more than normal yeah I'm, the, again, I'm not saying we're yeah. not affecting yeah, it. Yeah, in the last 100 years. Yeah. Here's the thing. When did we start measuring climate meaningfully? I was going to say probably in the last 10 to 15 years, maybe. Uh, no, I think it's longer than that, like 150 years, okay. give or take. We, they've been kind of paying attention. Ever since we learned to measure like air and stuff, they, yeah. they can go back mid-1800s, right? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, pretty pretty accurately. and they. And one of the methods they use, to my knowledge, is the ice sheet in Antarctica. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And they so they can actually go they... back pretty far historically based on the ice sheet. But as far as measuring and keeping track meaningfully with reasonably accurate data, it's like the last 150 years. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. I sound like an idiot saying 15 or 10, but I'm talking yeah. about more kind of like really measuring yeah. it. Yeah, probably with satellites and stuff. Yeah. So my point about that is we're being egotistical as a species to assume that we can draw accurate conclusions based on such limited, accurate data of the entire history of the planet. A lot of our historical data is speculative, period. Mm. And while they can do things like carbon dating and they can do, we're still, if we still don't understand the entirety of our planet now and we're living on it and how everything interconnects with everything, we still don't understand it fully. How in the hell can you say definitively this or that about something that you have limited evidence on? That you have limited evidence on. From a scientific perspective, it's you're creating policy based on theory that's not 100% proven yet. Right? You go hypothesis, theory, fact. And while you can make reasonable assertions that we're affecting the planet because you can watch it happening, the idea that it's somehow catastrophic is a stretch like it's yeah. a stretch and people are like all oh, these animals are dying off it's like do you think the planet gives a fuck if a species dies off because it does it all the time on their own and you know what they all you hear things about oh we discovered a new species of this we how just didn't you, know it existed yet yeah and how do we know that that wasn't just a new evolution one species of grasshopper died another species of grasshopper was born yeah that's that's evolution that's charles darwin that's you know which he's in he's a you know actually that's interesting charles darwin was when, when was he 1700s 18 i can't even remember uh, it was so, more recent than that i thought it maybe 1800s yeah. his theories still stand up to this day 
he was so far ahead of his time scientifically. He held back releasing his stuff. Again, I'm not an expert on this for quite a while because he was worried about being ostracized. And there are people periodically who release stuff that's so far ahead of the scientific community throughout the last, since Charles Darwin released this stuff. He was a weird human being, but his theories and his stuff I, I has think, pretty consistently been true. I think that's, uh, like I said, he was a weird human being. He yeah. was uh, an exception to the rule. And yeah. I think if you got to know I mean, he was Elon a weird Musk, human he was as probably a, human, a weird but, human being yeah. as well. Like. Yeah. Um, Stuff like epigenetics. He basically speculated about epigenetics and they didn't understand genetics for a long time and they said, no, it's bullshit. So you go through uh, periods in scientific uh, periods since since he created his theories where we agree with him, we don't agree with him. We agree with him, we don't agree with him. We agree with him. And the more and more we go, it's like, actually, he was pretty damn spot on. So it's it's kind of like the stock market. It it goes up and down with agreeing and not, but as a general trend, it's going to he was right. And this is where I come to modern times. Trust the expert. I've been doing this my whole life. Yeah, Charles Darwin was doing his whole life. You all thought he was nuts, but he was the one who was right. Einstein, you all thought he was nuts, but he was the one who was mostly right. He's mostly right about it. Yeah, I saw a meme of that recently, and it was like uh, when Einstein was interviewed about a hundred different papers that proved that he could possibly be wrong. And his comment was, why would you need a hundred? If I was wrong, you'd only need one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a valid point. Is if you take, you're either right or you're wrong. Yeah. And, it's, and you know, this is spinning around on the COVID topic is the arrogance of scientists right now. And I, I'm not sure it's a recent thing. I think it's always been that is that the status quo of humans is we don't want to rock the boat. And every once in a while, someone comes along as like, I'm going to rock the boat, and they historically try to fuck that person over. Was it Galileo in the Greek? They, no, Plato. Plato? One of them. Aristotle. Aristotle. One of them was killed for their beliefs. Uh, that was Aristotle. Aristotle, yeah. I'm trying to get my Greek philosophy. is not good. Um, he was right about a lot of stuff. To this day, people still yeah. follow you know, Aristotle or, or Plato uh, ideology. In, in legal scholarship, they still kind of follow loosely what they were teaching back then. And it's like back then, this person was a, uh, what's the word, religious, where they kill him? Zealot? Oh, no, blasphemous. Oh, They're blasphemous. blasphemous. And you must die for your sins, all because he was against the status quo ideology. So, the, you know, for anyone who's made it through this part of the podcast, I'll just say, one, we are drinking whiskey, which I haven't done in a while. But also, my main point in teaching physical self-defense is the approach and we talked about my style is very different than a lot of karma guys that I want to start with critical thinking and build out physical mental as a traditional warrior would be scholars in all areas well the ideology of it at least yeah that, that's kind of a nice way to come back to it I guess like, yeah. so talking about that and that's one thing that and you mentioned this about me uh, at some point during class you were like oh you know this was when COVID first started. Yeah. And I was not happy. Restrictions came in and I I kind of, I didn't want to get on board. I was really hoping it was going to blow over quickly. Yeah. Aren't we all? Yeah. And, uh, and you said, oh, you know, I'm one of those kind of people that wants to turn up, fight hard, spar every time. And and yes, that that that, that is kind of me. That And that, I think. A lot of people. Yeah. That, not just you. <laughs> that came a lot from the way I, I was taught or I trained in Australia as yeah. well. And yeah, I was interested. I I wanted to go to Krav because I wanted to get a 
damn good workout yeah. in. I wanted to get some, you know, aggression and stress out. I wanted to fight hard. I wanted to go until I had absolutely nothing left and then keep going. Yeah. And then you bring in a lot of this kind of, you know, at the start of the class, there's a lot of the critical thinking and whatnot. And I think I said to you as well, it was, if I didn't already agree with a lot of what you were yeah. saying, I probably wouldn't have stayed on my first Oh, and believe me, I lose a lot of students because of that. Yeah. And I appreciate it. Yeah. And I think for, again, this may be my personal arrogance here, but I don't think I need it, but yeah. I do understand that it's a part of it. And maybe this is me just being a little bit older. Maybe this is just me with my experience. I've seen I've seen a lot of confrontation happen. Like I said, I worked in hospitality for years. I've worked in high end restaurants. I've worked in you know dive bars. I've worked in destination venues. I've worked in you know wineries, and I've seen almost every level or every socioeconomic group of humans get to the point where they're aggressive and yep, violent it happens and, oh wait we're human what yeah and and it's funny because they all do it but they all do it in different ways yeah and that's something that i i i personally think i'm pretty good at yeah. so again could be my arrogance but i don't think i really need a lot of that critical yeah. thinking stuff but i appreciate the fact that you bring it in because the flip side to that is you get younger people coming in and i wouldn't say just younger people <laughs> it's not just younger people and inexperienced inexperienced people, I would yeah. say and they come in and they have no real idea of being able to identify when a situation's actually going to turn sideways quickly and quite often it is very quickly yeah. that it turns sideways and when something can be diffused verbally yeah. or diffused by simply leaving the situation or you know you know something else like that Whereas, like I said, I've got a lot of experience with watching this from behind yeah. three feet of bar, watching those two guys and being like, they're going to fight in a minute. Yeah. Fight. He's about to throw a punch. Fuck it, I have to get in there and stop yeah, it. Yeah. You know, and and it, it's interesting, to obviously, to get different people's perspectives on it. I've never been in the military. Yeah. You have. Yeah. And you've... You, did you serve anywhere outside of Israel or any... No, Israel's in Israel and only in Israel. Okay, yeah. Unless I go to war with Iran. Well, Syria is probably not on the table, but they did go to war with Lebanon. And I, I was in between wars. I was literally in between, like when I served, between going into Gaza and going into Lebanon. I was not there for either. Okay. I'd, I'd, I ask because my... my Wait, one Lebanon my... came first, then I missed both. 2006, Lebanon, second Lebanon war. I served 2009 to 2011. Then they did, right, like 2012 was Operation Castlet in Gaza. Okay. I would have been a sniper there. Like I would have been deployed as yeah. an active sniper because I have a friend in the sniper squad who ate shrapnel, and I was like right in between, like, oh, okay. right in between. So, yeah, I ask uh, one of my older brothers is he's not anymore, but he was in the Australian Army, and he he was deployed to Iraq twice, Solomon Islands once, and Afghanistan once. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, never at war. Yeah. But troops were there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't have any military experience, but you've obviously had experience where you've seen things from a, a military point of view obviously go sideways and happen. Yeah. I've seen just your average drunk, you know, yobbo, redneck, bogan, whatever you want to call them, person, you know, the kind of stuff you're likely to, to yeah. run into on the street. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a balance, as I said. It's it's how do you deal with, the traditional Krav Maga, which is we need to train your traditional. Like I addressed this in 
well, one's coming out soon. I don't know if you probably read it. One is about military crowd, police, et cetera. It's coming out soon. And then I was talking about ego. Yeah, about I the that student, one, yeah. right? The students come in. So martial arts is a. There's so much I can say about what we just talked about. Uh, military thing. What were we just talking about? Uh, you've seen things in the military, and you've seen things go yeah. s- go sideways. Oh, there. I want to talk about that. Remind me. This is the alcohol keg here yeah. now. Um, but ego as so martial arts is an inherently independent thing in many ways. And you actually find there's a lot of socially awkward people drawn to martial arts. Now, I didn't do well in team stuff, but I like martial arts because it's an individual thing. But the thing is, when you come into a school, it is an individual practice, but the school is its own like entity. Yeah. And some schools are very culty. And I, try, I tried very hard not to be culty because that's against critical thinking. Um, but I like the articles I was writing on ego is is students come in with an set idea of what it should be, and when it's not what they thought, they either quit or adapt. Now there's the instructor ego. I'm a human. I have ego, right? I was talking about the difficulty of being an instructor in us doing something that doesn't really make a lot of money most of the time. There are martial artists who make millions of millions yeah. of dollars, like Conor McGregor or Gordon Ryan in jujitsu and. And they've hit on a nerve that has done really well. But if you're not a champion or someone who wins, you probably won't make a lot of money unless you have the right mix of stuff, which is very rare, or you run a McDojo. Yeah. Right? And so it's like this balance of like, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I here just to teach people techniques? Am I here just to develop? Am I here to develop human beings? as an overall thing like what am i here for as an instructor and then you have to battle that with what do the students want without watering it down and becoming something bullshit you know with as a cross now vancouver is a relatively safe place despite what people think here like you're delusional if you think vancouver is a very dangerous place um but it's like some people come because they've been assaulted and they have traumas and you know me i'm not the best compassionate person to deal with i'm getting better but it's like listen i'm here to teach you something and you need to work on your traumas independently of me yeah because i don't have the time or persona to deal with that and then you have other people who come in it's like i want to be aggressive i saw on the internet this is what karma guy is (laughs) it's like we can do that but i'm telling you if you train like that all the time forever you're gonna die metaphorically yeah and then you get the people who want to learn but don't really want to learn because it's too hard you did, know have you watched cobra cry yeah i wrote did i not release the blog post on that i may not have read it's it. in the ego series. okay series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no it, it was interesting with the uh the the one kid that turns up and he's like i want to learn karate oh i don't want to get punched oh, can't yeah. i can i learn <laughs> karate without getting punched and then he goes <laughs> to the other school yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah those those are some of the most challenging students yeah. Although it's easier to fix one of those than it is someone with serious anger problems. Yes. Because one is they're not going to usually hurt someone on the way up and the other one is. Yeah. And it's like the anger problems may need medication, may need medication. And it's beyond the scope of what I'm ethically, legally and morally and time-wise <laughs> can do. Like yeah. can I help them if I really wanted to? Probably. Do I want to? No. I have my own shit to deal yeah. with. So beyond that. And it's like you know, especially in a city like Vancouver, it's, well, I get students sometimes who come 
And they're like, I've never heard this perspective before. Like, nobody has said that. I'm like, that's why I'm doing it. Yeah. And then you gather people like, what you're saying is really offensive and it bothers me. I'm like, well, then get the hell out. Yeah. Like, you don't have to be here if you don't want to. You're paying me. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know what's really offensive and bothers you? Yeah. Getting mugged. Yeah. Have you ever gotten mugged? Yeah. It's very psychologically and physically draining and uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and part of, like, my approach is the realization that most people aren't going to stay three months, let alone a year. And I have to cram down in their head, you're not as tough as you think. You need to more, know more than you think you do. It's really complicated. And you need to use your brain first. Yeah. And that's sort of the approach I come at. Everything else you will learn with time. Because the myth in Krav Maga is, I did a Krav Maga seminar. I can defend myself. No, you can't. But can you? Probably not. Because it's a skill like anything else, even though it's easy to learn, compared to, say, jujitsu, which is a nightmare in the learning curve compared yeah. to Krav, you still need to master it to the point where you can be sufficient to yeah. defend yourself. And that's where you talk about like second nature of muscle memory and whatnot. If you've ever been in one of those situations where you are getting assaulted or mugged or whatnot, you don't you don't think or you don't have time to think he's going to throw a punch. I'm yeah. going to use my inside defense. I'm going to step to the outside. I'm going to punch. It just happens. And unless you You react, get the time dilation thing going on. Yeah, yeah, unless you react on instinct, it's it's not going to matter what you know. If someone's choking you out, you don't have time to think, all right, I'm going to push my hands over my shoulder with my fingers out, you know, towards his eyes, create space. I'm going to grab his wrist. And I'm going to bring... You don't have time to think that. You just have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it takes time, and and in today's distracted world, people don't want to commit to stuff. You know, for me, I find people do their yellow belt test, and most people quit because they'll never admit it to me. But it's because it's too hard, and they fear failing the next test. Yeah, and they that was hard. I can't do that again, and they get in their own heads. You know, some people do get injured periodically, not severely. I've never had like a severe injury. You know, a sprained ankle, like a cracked rib, like, you know, nothing too crazy. Uncomfortable, but nothing too crazy. And it's the nature of it. It happens. And I, I can't protect people entirely for that. And that's like, that's the other problem as well. You can't come into something like martial arts, especially Krav Maga, and expect to come out of it without it's getting any martial arts. bumps and bruises. Yeah. Like it's, I'm sorry, if you're going to train in an effective manner, and I mean, I wrote a blog post about this. Realism is important yeah. in martial arts training. Yeah. And I've struggled with this here in, with UTKM and yeah. also in, in Australia. You get people come in and they don't want to provide a realistic attack. Yeah. And I, I just have a bit of an issue with that because if you're not going to come to class and your training partner is there and they're looking to, for whatever reason they're there, and they're looking to learn something, if you're not providing them with a street realistic attack, then they're not going to learn how to react and to, you know and behave in that situation. Yeah. And as safe as you can try and make that, and you can make it relatively safe, it's never going to be 100%. Yeah, well, there's a couple things about that is, again, we're in North America. Yeah. If you go full of aggro on people, they ne they're never coming back. Yeah. Because they're not... You have to build people's nervous systems up to be able to handle and i specifically say the nervous system because that's what it is it's if you go full krav mode on a lot of people they're going to never learn 
And so that's why I kind of, it does, I'm going to be totally honest, it depends on my mood, how I'm feeling, (laughs) who's in the class. Some weeks, for weeks on end, I'm just running a hard, hard. Yeah. And then for weeks on end, I'm like, just chill for a few weeks. And it depends on many factors. Right now, it's mostly chill because I'm basically doing private classes right now for small groups of people because that's basically all I'm allowed to do according to our wonderful idiot government. To be fair, they're a lot better than other places, <laughs> but it's not based in science. It's a bunch of bullshit at this point. Um, but you have to build people up to that because, again, it's that adversity thing. Like, if, I ha- if, if I'm tre- teaching people in the hood, I'm going to have them beat the crap out of each other, yeah. mainly because I need them to understand their ego is going to get them killed. And you, are you as tough as you think you are? Here, I have to get people to understand violence as a concept. Yeah. Like, do you understand violence? Because most of you do not. There was a really interesting book. I can't remember the name of the guy that was uh, that wrote it. Uh, it was called The Anatomy of Violence. Mm, I've um, heard of it. I haven't read it. Yeah. He, he went into the American prison system, mm. and um, he talked a lot about that. And a lot of it was based on gang violence yeah. and, and things like that. And it's, yeah, it, getting people to understand violence. And that's something that... I think I understand violence. I could be wrong. I, yeah. I've never, to be honest, I've never really been in an overly violent situation. Yeah. And I could be completely wrong. But I, be, I believe I have a, a fundamental understanding of what violence can really yeah. be. And it's, it's you know, I, think, I don't know if I talked about this. The movie The Tax Collector on Netflix. It's not that great oh, a movie. Yeah. It's okay. That, the ending is... French or something, isn't it? No, it's it's a like Netflix movie, English movie. Like it's about cartels, and some new cartel comes in, you know, and this new guy comes in and disrupts it with violence, like Ooh. real violence, like the established cartel. It's like, oh, you don't know I've been away, and like, and I was saying to my partner, like, yeah, like you want to see what violence is, you see what the cartels are doing. Oh yeah, or what's going on in the Congo. Like that's violence. Like, and it's, it sounds fucked up to say it's like, I'm peaceful and I'm very, I'm not a violent person, but part of it is to do with, I live in a society where that's not acceptable. Yeah. Deep down, I know what I could do if I had to, I don't want to, I'm not interested, but that's that switch. You go really quick. And a lot of people nowadays it's bred out. It's been bred out of them to be violent. Yeah. And, I'm not. I'm not advocating for it. We should go away from it. Uh, yeah. But in North America, well, Mexico with cartels. So Canada and America, even in the roughest places, most you don't understand what violence is compared to what it could be. And yeah. if we went back in time, if you were able to go back in time, I can almost guarantee you're going to vomit instantly in a major battle zone or, or something because the, what people can do to each other. Yeah. Is so beyond even some people's imaginations. Like I can't imagine my mother thinking about what cartels do. You know. Yeah, as my uh, my brother once in the army was uh, telling me a story, and pretty sure I'm allowed to say this. Yeah, I think we'll find I, out. <laughs> yeah. Um. So he this, he wasn't involved in this, but uh, we, he was talking about Africa. Yeah, which and, is interesting. Yeah. And one of the, the purpose of this story was. Stuff happens in Africa all the time and it never gets reported on because it's been happening for the last hundred years and that is business as usual. So yeah. it's not sensational. And uh, the story was there was a group of, I think it was six six SAS soldiers. Yeah. And they were there. I don't know the country. And they were, they, they were there observing. They were sent there on a mission to check stuff out. 
and they were looking they were on a hill and they were looking over a refugee camp it had i think maybe maybe a couple of couple of thousand maybe maxed out at ten thousand people in it yeah mostly women and children as refugee camps tend to be and they saw a group of about a hundred guys rival tribe faction whatever you want to call it approaching and they had machetes axes crowbars yeah and they radioed in and they were like hey something's about to go down can we uh jump in here and politics whatever no nope you guys are just there to observe we're not involved in this just so much so much for never again right yeah Yeah, this this isn't our problem this 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 is a you know internal issue you're here to look at whatever else is going on and then these guys got to the camp and they started killing killing people people, and they were like hey can we stop this yeah and paul like my brother had said like you know these were six sas guys on a hill oh they'll take them out pretty quick (laughs) it it, it was they were in no danger personally to it and they were like no no we're we're not supposed to be here maybe whatever we don't exist is what you're getting at and he said and these guys and a lot of these guys came back with like PTSD issues because they they sat there and they watched a group of a hundred guys with machetes and axes and farming equipment brutally take apart you know a couple of thousand women and children yeah. for whatever reason you yeah. want to put it on. Well, it's uh, Shake Hands with the Devil. Are you familiar? Yeah. The Romeo Dallaire book. He was the Canadian general in charge of the UN troops that could have stopped the Rwandan genocide, but mm. didn't. And I saw him talk once and he was, you know, he regrets it. Yeah. Because what, a couple hundred thousand people died in like two days by machete. Mm. All they had to do was say no and stand there with their guns. Yeah. And, you know, this is the the whole, like, race and all that. It's like, when you actually understand it, it's about wealthy people. This is this is something, you know, what's going on, the tensions in the world right now. It's really, the internet has done a wonderful thing and a terrible thing. It's just woken people up to the, how elitism is controlling everything. Oh, yeah. Now, that has always been the case. It's not just because of the internet the kings and queens is for a period of time elitism didn't rule all let's say post-world war ii through i don't know the 80s and then it made a resurgence yeah i'd argue maybe the 70s but yeah you can not exactly you know you're the military industrial complex but it's basically the people who have and the people who can do whatever they want yeah and they don't care about anything if it doesn't affect their bottom line like you can see what's going on with the GameStop stuff. Yeah. Which is like these people did nothing illegal but screw over Wall Street people and now all of a sudden the regulators are going to come in. And from a purely moral perspective, what they did is no different than what a lot of Wall Street people do. Yeah. But it's against Wall Street, so we need the regulators to come Interesting in. tidbit. Um, my father-in-law and brother-in-law, uh, they're financial planners. They're yeah. in that world. And I was talking to him about it and he was saying the... The Robin Hood that stopped trading. Yeah. And everyone was like, how dare Robin Hood stop trading these They shares? got told yeah, they yeah, had yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. That's not the case. No? They they didn't have enough cash. The problem is if you're, if you're running one of these brokerages, one of these tradings, you have... I don't ex- completely understand it, but basically it's like, running, it's like running a bank or running bets. You have to have enough cash or a casino that if everyone cashes out, you need to be able to pay them. Yeah. And they didn't have enough cash to pay everybody if they chose to cash out effectively. Yeah. So they had to go and get 
additional loans and they got about a billion dollars worth of extra money yeah. of loans to cover what was currently being traded and that's the reason they suspended trading. It wasn't yeah, because yeah. of any nefarious Wall Street person saying, oh, we have to stop the little man. It was these guys saying, shit, if everyone cashes out right now, we can't cover these checks. Well, again, it's a, uh, something like that from what I understood. It's probably... you a said something. You said some things that I hadn't heard before, but basically I think Elon Musk did an interview ironically Elon with the guy who did Roman and he basically said yeah. the SEC said if you don't have three billion in cash now you got to stop it yeah now I actually am okay not because the, the the way you framed it was uh, they need the money to cover the losses yeah now I think that's how insurance companies should run don't insure things you don't have the money to cover you motherfuckers yeah but they're like well then we can't cover anything then we don't need giant inter-global insurance companies. Then you just have a lot of smaller ones. You have a billion dollars cash, you can cover a billion dollars assets. End of story, fuck off. Yeah. That way you don't have the situations with them. Well, that's where insurance brokers come in and they yeah. split up those assets yeah. between multiple insurers. Yeah. So my dad was insurance. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I actually understand insurance. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't end up doing that. They never have enough to cover it. So in that perspective, I suppose it makes sense. What the issue now is, is after the fact, they're like, we need to stop this from happening again. What do you mean? Why? And then I, I didn't know this. There's after an hours trading. And I'm like, what do you mean there's after hours trading? Like, I only because of this incident, I learned it's like, why is there after hours trading? The markets are open from whatever, 6 a.m. Yeah. to, you know, 9 to 5 Eastern. Why is there after hours trading? And it's because the elites can trade after hours. The brokerage firms can trade after hours to fix anything that the peons did during the, yeah. Uh, and the more you look into it, you're like, Jesus Christ, these corrupt motherfuckers don't care. They don't want, like, you can frame it however you want. End of the day, it's they want to win, and that's the end of story. And they don't care about us. Yeah. The little guy. And the funny thing about caring about the little guy, because I said the, the same thing to, I was talking to my brother on, he was like, you really have to look at, because there was the, the one mutual fund, uh, it started with an M, I can't remember the name, that, that went broke. Yeah, yeah, one of the companies just went bankrupt. Yeah, went bankrupt. And he said, what you need to do is you need to look at that that company. Were they investing billionaires' money? If they were, fuck it, who cares? Yeah. If they were a brokerage that invested in the CCP, your average grandma yeah. looking for a pension, that's when you need to pay attention. Yeah. And that's what I think the... That's what happened with the mortgage, partially with the mortgage crisis. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand. Yeah, we stuck it to Wall Street and we sent some, you know, mutual fund. Yeah, out everyone's of retirements are tied in. That's yeah. great. But if your grandma's retirement was tied into that, she's now got no retirement. Yeah. So you need to pay a little bit more attention as to who you're sending broke. Yeah. Well, you know, I let's just say a person very close to me may or may not be a financial planner. So I have, have access to better advice than I used to do because as someone with not a lot of money, when I went to the banks, I couldn't get good advice because the people I talk to are morons. Yeah. And when I learn more about how, what's going on in the world from reading The Economist magazine than the advice... Oof, that's heavy reading. Yeah, I don't read it so much anymore because I used to get it for free on my BlackBerry oh. and now BlackBerry is dead. <laughs> um, but it's like... When I know more about what's going on in economics and the stock market than the advisor talking to me, I'm like, these are idiots. And why? What and I've, why, why am I paying? What has been confirmed is, unless you have a hundred grand or more, at least in most Canadian banks, you're not talking to anyone worth anything. Yeah, they're giving you garbage advice that's just generic crap. And so I've 
taken a bit more control from a bit more of an educated standpoint of my own investments. And I've, I've made, you know, not a substantial amount of money, but the crash of COVID, I've actually come back way on top because I'm learning how to do it properly and what to invest in and my comfort levels from investing and how much can I lose and how much should be in conservative, how should we not. And, and when you can really take control of your own investment, you're in a better secure position than if you just handed your money to somebody else. They'll make you money in the long run, but if you want to really do it, you got to learn and take control yeah. of your own investment. And that's the thing, like my father-in-law says, a lot of his clients, uh, he deals with this particular type of clientele, uh, mostly older, mostly with little to no investment experience. And he finds when there's when there's a downturn, people are always contacting and freaking out, like, oh, yeah. should I sell, should I get out, what's going on? He's oh, like, hell no, buy buy if it's down buy have you got more cash i can say again allegedly someone very close to me may be involved in such things (laughs) and during the covid crash everyone was like i need to sell it and they're like for the love of god no do not and basically everyone who listened to them is now making more money yeah and everyone who didn't listen to them is now out money yeah there was a uh, i want to say philippines yeah Southeast Asian country, this happened when I was about 15, so don't groom me on the details. Uh, but there was, I don't remember how it started, but uh, a rumor got out, a news release got out, banks are, banks are shutting down, banks are going broke. And everyone's, everyone went to the bank and tried to get their money out because they were like, oh my God, the banks are going down, I need to get my money out now before I lose it. Yeah. And then the banks were like, holy fuck, everybody's trying to withdraw their money at once. Close the banks down. We don't want this to happen. And that, that of course, fueled everybody's you know paranoia that, oh my God, they're shutting the banks down and I can't get my money out yeah. and they're not letting me get my money out and I heard they're going to crash. And it was all, again, don't go on the details, but it was all like this, this rumor had started basically falsely that it was that the banks were in trouble but the banks started to actually get in trouble when everybody started to try and pull their money out all at once. Yeah. Because if everybody takes their money out of the bank at the same They're time, screwed, the yeah. bank's screwed. Yeah. So the bank was trying to protect everybody by saying, hey, let's leave your money in here. And if everybody leaves their money in, we'll be fine. Yeah. But the general population was like, ah, oh, they're not letting me get my money. Oh, my money's going to disappear. And That's why you have crypto for, just in case nowadays. Yeah, but. <laughs> it went for about three weeks and then everything blew over. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's the panic response. Like a lot of people don't realize that a large percentage of the like 90% of the market is owned by 10% of the people and it's run by robots, like algorithms that do the trading. And then the the big fluctuations are due to public trading that's all over the place. And, you know, what I find is just arrogant is like, you don't understand the market. Let us tell you. You're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. And that's kind of what you see now with GameStop thing is like, you're all morons. You're screwing with it. It's like, no, we didn't break any laws. Actually, uh, Robin Hood's in more trouble yeah. than anyone, ironically, because <laughs> of how they, they managed a lot of this stuff. And they, it's just like people is coming circling all the way back because people don't know what the fuck they're talking about ever. People at the top are arrogant dickheads being condescending and rude. Yeah. Just teach people. Again, like, and it, teach them. Again, comes back circling around. You're like saying, you know, People don't understand. People don't understand violence. People don't understand how to avoid a situation, how to deal with a situation, yeah. and the panic response. You, t- I mean, you've got your mental color codes, and it's the same sort of thing. You, Which you, I didn't develop. Jeff Cooper and the Marines did. Yeah. But you get into that situation, and 
you know, the panic response, basically what we're talking about here is fight or flight. You know, you, you get to that point where your adrenaline and your nervous system takes over and you're not really thinking. Are you, yeah. you, you know, your brain just dumps a shitload of adrenaline into your body and you're like, am I going to stand here and am I going to fucking punch on or am I going to use that to run the fuck away yeah. or am I just going to white out or black out and not know what's going on for the next five minutes? Yeah. And it's it's interesting to the way you say, like I said, you teach a lot of critical thinking and whatnot, and you look at more of our. You've done several articles on, like you did one on financial self defense and cyber. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. Yeah, it's all relative to me. Yeah, and cyber self defense, like it, it, it's the same thing. Like, and the self defense, you know, theories as well as the panic theories. If you're gonna panic because the market's going down, is the same thing as if you're gonna panic if somebody walks up in front of you, shoves you. You know, holds a knife at your face and says, "Give me a wallet." Yeah, it, it's it's that same panic response. It's that same. Oh my god, I'm going to lose everything. Do you have the skills to deal with that situation? And do you have the the training to work through that immediate dump of chemicals in your brain yeah. and stop for a second and think and say, "Wait a minute, the market will bounce back. I don't need to pull everything out right now." Or, you know, at the same time, as someone's holding a knife in your face, like, holy crap, what am I going to do? I've got five bucks in my wallet. I'm going to pull it out slowly and throw it to my right and run to my left. Yeah. You know, it's people don't think about that and people don't think how that all kind of ties in. Well, it's general survival skills yeah. in the modern world. And uh, I think history in the making, no, uh, urban tactics, the reason why we picked that name originally is, at least for me, it was uh, I want to give you the skills to survive in the modern world urban world that we're increasingly go which is not just the physical and i had a a vision that is not manifested because i don't have the money and the the i need the help that i need where i'm going to give you the physical skills the mental skills and the financial skills to survive the urban market and to me that's all collectively self-defense so like i think my approach as an instructor is more like I'm an educator overall rather than I'm just teaching you crap. My God. Yeah. And for people, you know, they come in, they're like, I wanted to just punch the shit out of each other. And I'm like, well, that's not my school. Yeah. But I'm the, to my knowledge, I'm the most consistently most structured program for self-defense in the city that's specifically from a crop my God origin that I know of. Cause I, there are other legitimate people, but they're not, from what I've seen running any serious programming that was developmental in nature. You know? Yeah, and it, it's interesting you say that. And I, I am kind of one of those people that want to come in and punch the crap yeah. out of people. And We've had that talk. Yeah, we, we, yeah we've had that talk. And it's, it's, that's something that I said comes from me. That, that's what I'm specifically looking for coming to class uh, because I, again, could be my own ignorance, but I believe I have a lot of other life experience that leads yeah. me into that sort of thing but it, it is very nice and it is something that i think is in my experience has been very much a part of Krav Magar. is it it's not just about this yes there, there, there is that point where you you flip that switch and you, you you go crazy and you need to get you need to deal with this situation now and you need to deal with it violently and effectively and energetically but there is the whole side of I mean, this was stuff that I learned with KMG as well. Is things like you know avoiding avoiding a you know a confrontation to start with. We did drills where we had 
you know, two people walking through a room that were obviously working together, trying to get on either side of you and try to surround you and picking up on that early and then adjusting your trajectory so that you had them lined up or so that they couldn't get behind you and things like that, which I, I think is very important. And I think can relate to a lot of other things in life. That reminds me like, so this, the idea of like realistic training, when you actually understand the nervous system, you can actually simulate realistic training without doing realistic training. Because when you look at studies to do with uh, visualization, your brain, if you're good at visualization, that's I should say that, yeah. your brain doesn't know the damn difference between doing and visualizing. But you have to have the fundamental skills in the real world to be able to do that. And then you can just drill through it in your mind enough that it works. And so... You don't have to create literal realistic scenarios to create the same result in the real world because you just have to train the brain and the nervous system. Yeah. So we're in Vancouver. It's just not practical for many reasons for me to set up crazy realistic scenarios, whether because we don't have the gear, we don't have the space, people are going to call the cops, all sorts of reasons. It's just not been practical for me does not mean I can't train your nervous system as if it wasn't the same. Yeah. And I think often people develop something and they get the results they want, but they equate the reason to the wrong thing. And so I feel like if I ask the average Israeli instructor, why does this work? They just say, because it works. (laughs) Oh, well, you've tested it. But they never really look into why. And that's my approach is a bit more why and how. Yeah. Like I understand it works because a lot of the Israelis are full of shit and they'll say, well, we did it because we have this and that and blah, 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 blah. And then you look into it. It's like, no, they just kind of found a happy solution because, you know, the solution that they found, it's got a T-Rex shirt on. What's for breakfast? It's not even breakfast time. And And, trucks and truck pants. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to bed, Logan? Oh, you might kill the cord there. Um, sorry, where was I? It's a microphone. It's a microphone. Say hello. Hello. Oh, that's quite loud. <laughs> um, and so the Israelis, they don't always, n- they equate the wrong reason to why they found the right solution, if that yeah. makes sense. And so when you start to look out, you know, there's Tony Blauer, who has an amazing self-defense system that's not Krav Maga based. The what? Tony's at his school. Oh, Tony's at his school. Different Tony. We're talking about different Tonys. And he developed uh, his high gear suit, which is fairly realistic suit that allows proper mobility and they can go pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they they can train fairly realistic, but it's like that suit is (laughs) $1,500. Not everyone can afford five. That's not a practical reality. So how do we train people? And I, you know, the drill we do where we pin people against the wall. That yeah. cre- that's probably one of the most drills where I can create the most like panic in a person's nervous system to yeah. simulate the, the, the fear that they're going to experience because it's really difficult. No, don't touch those. Put those down. It's really difficult to simulate real fear in the dojo. There was, you can uh, to a degree. Yeah. There don't was, touch anything in there. Logan, no touching. I was actually doing a first aid course and the, uh, the person that was teaching that uh, said that being without oxygen 
is the most stressful thing a human can go through. Oh yeah, drowning so, sensation. Yeah, so drowning, choking, not being. And I've I've actually been in a mosh pit where I've been crushed to the point. Oh, I don't that do mosh pit. I'm just I, like get the fuck off of me. <laughs> I love a good mosh pit. I'm, I'm, I'm a big heavy metal fan. I um I've been to multiple. He likes awesome giraffes, I guess. Uh, he likes that toy. More of a dinosaur <laughs> guy, but that particular toy, which is now broken. Uh, yeah, I've actually been in a mosh pit where I got crushed to the point that I. I basically blacked out almost and had security pull me out from the front because I very I Australian. I, I couldn't breathe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and as you said, pinning someone against a wall in that situation that yeah that will create a lot of a lot of stress. And this is something that uh, like I find is very useful. And I don't know how you personally feel about it, but you, I think you've said before like be vocal, talk. Yeah, I've been training with people, and I I've put people like noticeably off guard by simply yelling at them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, just like, hey! Like, they weren't expecting it's a disrupt it. when you break the social norms, yeah. Yeah, and I've put them noticeably off guard by that. And I kind of, I like that part of, of training and I, I, I do like to talk, I do like to kind of act and get into character. And I always have to be really careful because I, I kind of, I ramp up to it a little bit, especially if I'm with new people. Yeah. Because I don't want to come across like I'm some weird fucking psycho straight away. <laughs> You're not the worst I've had. <laughs> yeah. But I I, do... I actually had an actual psycho once that I had to talk to the local uh, I hit, which is like the investigative yeah. murder squad, because I had a student very briefly who was very problem. Probably one of the only people I gave like written like, hey, like I'm letting you know you can't keep this or you're gone. Yeah. And he, I think he ended up stabbing. Okay. <laughs> so as the psycho goes, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, again, I, th- I, again, that realism and that kind of, like you said, training your brain with perception and whatnot. I don't know. You talk about like treat the knife like it's a real knife, treat the yeah. gun like it's a real gun sort of thing. Like I find that that vocal and that kind of that acting thing, it, it becomes important to the sense that you get people that stand there silently and hold a knife at you, yeah. uh, a training knife at you. I'm like, yeah. Cool. If somebody walked up to me with a blank look on their face, kind of silently just held a knife at me, I'd probably just walk around them. Like, you're not being aggressive. You yeah. Know what I mean? but- so, I mean, in the white belt classes, I start like that because I need them to just understand the basics. Yeah. Now, if we go, if and when you come back to the color belt classes and let's say Karch is there and I'm like, go aggressive, oh, yeah. he'll be aggressive. See, I, I've been really looking forward to trying sparring with Karch, but yeah. he just didn't come enough. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I've been boxing this week. I don't want to get punched oh, in the head too much. Yeah. No, he's he's now doing hospital security. Two of my students do hospital security at uh, one of the more uh, issue-ridden hospitals in Metro Vancouver. I used to train with a guy in Perth who was a nurse. Looked like a bikey. Yeah. Big dude, long beard in his 50s, big pot belly. Looked like a bikey, but he was a nurse. Yeah. And he worked... Uh, Fremantle Emergency, which is one of the the places you'd get the crazies and the all sorts of things turning up yeah. on a Friday, Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny. I was talking to one of them, the other student who trains with Karch, and I'm like, "How's he doing?" Because the other student's been there a long time. It's like he has to. He keeps realizing he can't punch people. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, I can't punch them," because he's been doing boxing for so long yeah. as well. But it's like the real is like. You want to experience violence? Go work at that hospital because you yeah. get you get all the crazy people there. Like, and I, by crazy, I mean they're unstable, they're schizo, they don't understand where they are, they get violent, mm. right? And 
Logan? You know, I so. think that uh, from my understanding, the other student who works there is up until now, now that Karch is there too, uh, they would always call him. Oh, okay. Because these are the people who are willing, not, they're not violent, like they don't go over the top, but yeah. they understand violence and they're actually trained and unlike the rest of the security that's done some bullshit chorus that's bullshit like yeah. in the most every sense of the possible word of bullshit that yeah. and they don't know how to be violent or they don't know how to control themselves or they're just like i'm just not going to get engaged it's like if you don't engage at this hospital they're going to stab a nurse yeah or they're going to tackle like they're going to hurt someone so you have to engage but you have to engage in a way that's not going to hurt them or you because of liability and legal yeah, reasons yeah. I actually had a really interesting conversation. I was at, out of all things, a Marilyn Manson concert. Uh, when of he all came, places. And when he came to town uh, recently, it was him and Rob Zombie. Um, oh, I've seen Rob Zombie. Never seen uh, Marilyn Manson. Uh, Rob him. Zombie opened for Ozzy. Rob was good. Ozzy sucked. Don't waste your money on Ozzy anymore. I Well, <laughs> anymore, yeah. I actually thought Rob was better than Marilyn this yeah. time around. Um, but the, the girl sitting next to me was a psych nurse that worked at Vancouver General. They have interesting stories. And we had a great little chat in between bands. She was more of a Rob Zombie fan than a Marilyn Manson fan. And we kind of, you know, hit it off for a while and we were chatting. And then we got into all sorts of these A lot of psych nurses like heavy metal. It's a... (laughs) Or metal in general. I I think it's... uh, Personality. It just matches up at the job. You have to be a tough person to be a psych nurse. Yeah. For sure. One of the people I know in the local community... uh, I'll try to get him on at some point. Like Rory Van Vleit, he uh, he really he just released a whole thing about uh, self defense for nursing. Yeah, and I'm like, I haven't seen it, and I do. I really want to talk to him about it. Um, he works with Rob Bernacki over on the island, and he has, he does security. He works in corrections, so he's got real world experience. And it's like to me, no matter what techniques you teach, it's kind of irrelevant. What's the policy? What are you yeah. allowed to do? And that's the thing, especially when you're talking about working in healthcare and especially like um, psych healthcare, you're dealing with people that, as you said, maybe don't know what they're doing, maybe don't understand what they're doing. And that whole kind of defend and restrain type mentality really comes into play. Because, I mean, if you, you, you come out onto the street and some guy, some person is, is ready and willing to do you harm yeah. for whatever reason, at that point, doing them harm is maybe not the worst thing in the world. When you come you come against someone and it's having having a psychotic break, having a breakdown. Situational and, awareness. Yeah. And they're uh they don't understand what's going on. And, as as Logan's hitting it yeah. with the foam thing. <laughs> and uh at that point it's not about it's about restraining them so that they don't hurt you, they don't yeah. hurt themselves, they don't hurt anyone else. And at that point it becomes yeah, it, it's less about being violent to match their violence and it's more about this situation is we have an out of control person that doesn't isn't aware of the consequences of what they're doing yeah well you know and I was listening to an interview with Rory and well he doesn't know I'm talking about this but um, he was he brought up a very good point is what if you have an elderly patient who's Alzheimer's and just doesn't know what's going on is confused and gets aggressive and his point was you're used to rolling with big tough aggressive people you can't grab an 80 year old as hard as you can grab a 20 year old break a bone and only through consistent training and experience can you learn to let go or push put more pressure 
based on the level of resistance yeah. that's going on. Uh, I was talking with Petra about, you know, she's a woman and she's a black belt in judo and she's like, oh, a lot of guys are cautious with me and they're always like shocked at how good base I have and how much challenge I can give them. Petra looks like a girl with good base. Yeah, well, it's judo and I'm like, you should be happy about that. And a lot of people are like, well, that's sexist. And I'm like, no, because you know what? If a 250-pound guy doesn't do that, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Unless you have really high skill. Like I've watched uh, like I watched Luana Alizaguer, who is a world champion jiu-jitsu person, just steamroll like 20 guys in a row, black belts and brown belts, and then me at the end. Um, so there are people, but most women are not that. Even the average martial artist, they're not multi-time world champions who are like amazing at what they do and especially when you're in a training situation as you said you want your training partner to be aware of your skill level your size your strength and play to that and maybe they do that the first couple of times and then realize you're good you're strong you've got skill and then they ramp it up to match that yeah like usually when i roll with women for example or smaller people i like i wait and I see, like, what are they capable of doing? And some women, I'm going, like, 10%. Some guys, I'm going 10%, yeah. to be fair. And then there's other women I roll with. It's like, why are you being so aggressive with me, John? I'm like, dude, you're trying to take my head off. Yeah. Like, I'm going, I'm matching your pace. Yeah. And my skill level isn't so high that I can dance with them gracefully, so I'm going to go pretty aggressive with them. Yeah. If they're that good, I've rolled with women that are that good. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're going so hard. I'm like, because you're going hard. <laughs> and at the same time, I think if you walk into any martial arts gym, any boxing ring, any judo gym, any karav class, and you're not ready to experience, experience some level of aggression, yeah, you're not supposed to be there. Yeah. Now, then, then there's the other uh, Karis yeah. will be like, why aren't they hitting me? Like, they can hit me. They know they can hit me, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, tell them that they can hit you. And this is where it is sexist. Now, either because they come from a culture, it's like, dude, she's telling you, you can hit her harder. Yeah. Hit her harder. That would be respect. She's telling you, you can hit her. Harder. Now don't go a hundred percent, like ramp it up accordingly. Yeah. But she's saying, hit me harder. It's like, why John, why aren't they hitting me harder? I'm like, well, they come from a culture where they think it's comp- like, they just refuse because they think they can kick the crap out of you. And it's like, that may be true, but it might not be true. Yeah. Where the respect is, she's telling them, hit me harder, so do it. Don't yeah. cold cock her in the head right away. Yeah. But, like, respect it and be like, she wants to be hit harder, hit her harder. Yeah, Karis is another one that I want to have a good spot. Yeah, yeah. She's joined the military, so she's hit, hit, disappeared a lot. Oh. <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm fairly certain her experience with me prepared her really well for that. Well, the, the last story I heard about her in the military was her almost... Uh, cocking a corporal for trying to take a rifle away i'm so happy about that <laughs> good that's the correct response no matter whether you get disciplined for it or not that is yeah. the absolute correct response like i remember like i was really disciplined about that like you could not i never left like high index like i'd fall asleep on the bus you go to israel yeah. you'll find soldiers who are passed out on the bus with their gun on the floor not even attached to them oh god and the magazine, not in lo- loaded, but like there's these uh, things that it's in the gun, but not loaded. loaded. Okay. And uh, basically, I would fall asleep on the bus with my uh, the strap on. I'm yeah. blanking right now. 
and my finger in high index and I'd pass out like that. <laughs> okay. So good luck taking the gun from me. Yeah. And it's just like you don't generally have to worry on the buses in Israel that someone's going to take it. But then I saw soldiers do that during guard duty Oh. where they'd pass out in guard duty yeah. in a place where someone got stabbed last week, mm. gun on the floor. And it's like, now we have a problem. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, that's to do with the way, at least when I was in the, it changes every five to six years how yeah. they do stuff over there. It's but. funny. I was talking to, this was five years ago, I guess. Uh, my brother came over just before we left Australia. And I was, uh, I was chatting to him and uh, showing him some Karab and he was interested and whatnot. And I was showing him some, uh, some weapon disarm techniques that I'd learned, pistol and, and, and long arm. And his kind of comment to me was, yeah, but that's not going to work because my gun is physically tied to me yeah. at all times. Is it though? <laughs> and that, that was kind of my, my thought. I'm like, all right, yes, you're, you're a soldier. You're in the army. You're, you're a guy that's going to turn up like when there's a, a military presence. Yeah. This isn't a situation where someone's on the street trying to mug me or, you know, it's the rise of the machines. Yeah. Or, you know, the zombie apocalypse has happened, and me and Rick Grimes and the other survivors are fighting against Negan. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. and to to his credit, I took his point, and I'm like, yeah, all right, I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, even if that rifle is tied to you, if I get control of it, I can just beat the crap out yeah. of you with it. Yeah. And now, with that, to his point, if they're expecting you to go after their gun, and they're prepared and reasonably trained you're not getting the gun you're getting yeah. shot but if they're in white or yellow or too low mental code or they're tired or they misread the situation or you're more aggressive than them you can catch them in israel it happens all the time a soldier gets killed on just casual guard duty or just at the bus station it happens every while yeah because they just weren't prepared already they have the training their crowd training is pretty weak for the average soldier to be honest yeah. They're just not mentally there, and they get snuck up on, they get stabbed, they get snuck attack, and they didn't have the time to get the gun off because they didn't train enough to drill enough, or the other person would... They're just chilling at the bus station, and the other person was looking at them saying, I'm going to kill them, and they're just listening to their music. Yeah. And then you're going to get killed. So it's like, what's your alert status? Like, where are you? Are you expecting it? Are you not expecting it? If you're expecting it, then it'll be pretty hard to take a attached uh, if they yeah. have their sling on. That's the word. Yeah, that that's also kind of a hard way to live to be constantly expecting something like that to happen. And again, you're talking about in Israel, that's more than likely going to be the case for a lot of Not anymore. It's pretty peaceful there now right. most of the time. Yeah. But, you know. Well, compared to somewhere like Vancouver, for yeah. instance. Like, and that that was, again, that was one of the, you know, probably shouldn't say this, one of the comments my brother's made was, my brother made was, he knows how the like how the holsters work that the Australian police carry. And he yeah. was like, in a crowd, he was reasonably confident he could take a pistol out of a police officer's holster without them, not without them knowing, but with, before they could get yeah. to it. Yeah, well, it's like, like there's people who can take watches off of people without yeah. them noticing. You could, It's probably easier to take a pistol out of the average cop if they're distracted than it would be to take someone's watch, watch off, off the wrist yeah. as a general rule. And it depends on what uh, kind of holster they have, what kind of training they have. Yeah, and again, like you said, it's uh, someone's distracting in front of them. You know, someone walks up behind them, the good old you know bump and grab and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Like it's now your first response if you have proper training is your trigger hand should be on the pistol, not like just on the holster yeah. blocking it. That should be your immediate. Anytime you feel anything weird, if you are carrying a pistol, your immediate response should be pistol hand 
on pistol. Ironically, I do the same thing with my wallet. Yeah. Constantly, but not still there. It's not still, still there. <laughs> yeah. If you if something feels off and it's not paranoia, it's just being aware. Like situational awareness. If you go to some countries and a bunch of kids surround you, you probably just got robbed. Yeah. They're not cute kids. They just robbed you. <laughs> and you know, Westerners don't think of stuff like that. It's funny, my one of my dad's friends, he was a, a barrister or a lawyer in Australia. Uh, quite wealthy. He worked with uh, the insurance company my dad worked for. And uh, he was saying he took a trip to India one day, um, him and his family. And uh, a little kid, little beggar, homeless kid, whatever, came up and, yeah. like, you know, grabbed his leg. And uh, the, the hotel concierge, the, you know, whatever was standing there, the doorman, he was like, oh, you know, sir, I, you know, I take, take care of this for you. He was like, no, 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 it's fine. And he's, he's trying to be a nice guy. He's trying to, you know, kind of get this kid off hugging his leg. Like, it's no, it's all right. I'll give you a few bucks or whatever. And he kind of couldn't get this kid off his leg. And then yeah. the, the concierge just walked up and just backhanded this kid in the face. And he was like, whoa, whoa. Like, easy, type. like, he's a kid. What are you doing? Just that cultural difference, that mm. cultural awareness. Like, obviously, this guy knew this kid was working to, for some yeah. Fagan and trying to rob him. And he was trying to protect his hotel clients and whatnot. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, it was just kind of that. It was funny that he'd sort of, like, he was like, oh, no, it's all right. I'll just sort of get him off. And this guy's yeah. like, bang. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> get out of my property. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't rob people on my block. You know, that cultural awareness. It's like, I did a, I talk about it sometimes. don't want to name their name because they're pretty well known in American circles. I went to a seminar locally by this individual who's very well known in the American self-defense circles. There was also a KMG representative and some other people. To be honest, I wasn't that impressed. I felt like they were just on a circuit to make oh, money. Yeah. And they like they enjoy each other's company and like I we did some some of their drills I thought were yeah. stupid as shit. Yeah. And like I clearly was and I'm not as martial artists go the highest of skill level realistically objectively. I have no problems with that. And <laughs> that got picked up by the mic. And um I was just playing with people in the drills. Yeah. Because none of them had grappling skills. None of them had good boxing. These are people who are training with self-defense under another school locally. Not a craft school, but mm. self-defense school. I'm not going to say more uh, than that. that. That's a vague term, self-defense. But I, Q&A period, and I said, what do you, how do you address the differences in cultural acceptances to different violence in different groups or something along that lines? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, some groups of people are more violent than others inherently. Not because not of skin color, but because of where they up and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And I'm like, I don't see skin color. Everyone bleeds the same. And I'm like... Bleeds the same, really? <laughs> what a dumbass. This is just... I think he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. But he's tired and he doesn't want to deal with the politics. Yeah. And he just gave a bullshit, lazy-ass response. But they made me seem like I'm some sort of racist. And the the, the hosts of the place are clearly super left-wing delusional yeah. retards who... And I don't care if you don't like that word. I'm using it. They got angry and started making accusations about yeah. me. And I'm like, you're not culturally aware, are you? Like, you don't understand violence. Yeah. You don't understand the difference. You're applying Western political ideology to this. And, and he's giving a cop-out, lack of a better word, bullshit answer so he doesn't get in trouble. Have you ever heard two South Africans have a conversation? Not in South Africa. There's a lot of South Africans in Australia. Yeah. It sounds 
fucking violent. Yeah. It sounds like they're about to kill each other. Yeah. They're very good friends. Yeah. And as a as a security guard, as a bartender, as a, you know, a hostess, a cop, someone standing there, it can seem like these two are very, very angry at each other. Yeah. Culturally, no, that's just how they talk. Yeah. You know, and you, again, cultural awareness, you know, you, you need to be aware of that sort of thing. Yeah, and telling the difference between a South African and Australian accent can be quite challenging for some people. Well, you know, only if you grew up in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, yeah. Um, I they, get them mixed up sometimes, but usually there'll be like a key phrase. I'm like, oh, no, they're South African. Yeah. Oh, no, they're Australian. Sure. It's funny. You say that with the, the cultural differences and whatnot. Now, I'm telling someone else's story here, but uh, not my lead instructor, but the the person that took over the school, um, the KMG school that I went to in Perth. He went to a seminar with, can't remember the name, but it was an Israeli from KMG that yeah. came over to Australia. And they were doing uh, a knife seminar. And my particular guy I'm talking about disarmed the person during the drill and then stabbed them about 12 times in the kidneys with a knife, pushed them to the ground and then did his standard KMG move and scan and walked away. And then the Israeli instructor kind of walked over, said, oh, is that legal in this country? Yeah. Kind of raised his eyebrows and just walked off. Yeah. (laughs) And like, obviously the, the kind of the innuendo there was good technique, good response, you might want to be careful about where you are in the world. Well, in Israel, you can't just you can't just outright kill someone. Like it's a myth. Can you try? Can you hear me? So loud now. Can you hear Jonathan? Hello. No. No. You can't hear me. You can't hear. What's us. for breakfast? Um, pie. Pie, pie for did breakfast. You, did you have pie for dinner? Mm-hmm. Was it good pie? Daddy made that pie. Good. What good. kind of pie? <laughs> oh, that was just a beef mince pie. Oh. Yeah. So loud. <laughs> Don't break it. They're brand new. Okay, careful, Logan. If you, have yeah. to, if you break it, Daddy's got to pay for it. Yeah, I've, I've been doing a little bit more cooking lately. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's good. Healthy living is uh, the yeah, way I Well, the way I cook, I wouldn't necessarily call it healthy. I, I grew up with very much kind of the European, French, Italian style cooking. So uh, a lot of pasta, a lot of... Uh, I did, uh, did a nice chicken pie the other day. Um, I got a recently got a sous vide for Christmas yeah. from my oh, lovely mother-in-law. So good sous vide. Don't wreck it. So, um, so I've been sous vide a bit of meat and then searing it off and and working that way. I've also I've also got a backpacker and a slow cooker, so I I like my cooking. Yeah, no sous vide is the best way to make a steak if you're worried about overcooking. It. Oh God, no! I'm never cooking a steak any other way. Sous vide and then quickly sear it, and it's so good. It's funny though. I bought a I bought a roast the other day, and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll sous vide this and I'll just sear it off. It'll be great. And yeah. I haven't had it for very long. It's like I'll just quickly check, you know, the temperature and the time. It's like twenty four to forty eight hours. I'm like. Well, I guess I'm not making that good dinner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you slow, if you don't know, it's a French style where you vacuum seal it, put it in a boiling water where it's maintained perfect temperature for X amount, and then you just take out and sear it. And it yeah. So the really idea good. is, like you said, you you can't overcook it. So you set the temperature to the one I've got can go within point one of a degree. Yeah. And you set it to whatever temperature you want, rare, medium rare, well done. And the whole idea is you can leave it in there until the entire thickness of your meat is cooked to that yeah. temperature and it will never get any hotter than that temperature. Um, and you can leave something in there for an hour longer than recommended and it's still not going to overcook. So, I mean, As that's he gets great. tied up in the headset, <laughs> jumping around. Yeah, no. It's, Four-year-olds and cables. Yeah, I know, right? 
He's got the hang of it, more or less. Yes, Logan. Words of advice. What words of advice do you have, Logan? Why in here? <laughs> <laughs> That's Daddy's friend and Daddy's Krav Maga instructor, and we're we're doing a, a not a video but a podcast for people <laughs> to listen to. <laughs> okay, He's can Daddy can Daddy have the, it back in now? The headphone now. Okay, Logan, Daddy's turn. Okay, you can have Loud you have to noises. Sit there, yeah, if you move around, you'll get hurt because it'll tie you up and choke you out. <laughs> and you don't want that. No, no exactly. It's, it's funny. The kind of the whole the whole point of this podcast was originally going to be kind of my my martial arts journey, and then through into fatherhood, and yeah. obviously we're straight away from that. But it's I mean, getting back to that, it's kind of uh, kind of funny. We were talking about homeschooling before and schooling and indoctrination and whatnot. Yeah. And it's something me and my wife have talked about, and um, she she's very happy in the idea that I will teach our kids to defend themselves. Yeah. And she wants she wants our kids to know how to defend themselves. Yeah. And it's I've got a couple of younger nieces and nephews, and working hospitality for years, I've worked with lots of uh, younger people and younger girls, especially that finishing late at night it might be yeah. you know walking back to their cars catching buses or trains and I, i've been in many a situation where i've been sort of either walking people to to their modes of transport yes logan leave it alone or uh or, don't pull know, it off brand new kind of, uh, you know don't wreck it okay gentle logan or you know, sort of showing them how to giving them pointers on how to how to kind of defend themselves yeah but it's it's one of those things that i'm uh and again, I might come across as one of those kind of, I don't want to say weird or overprotective, but when Logan and Ava get to the point that they're wanting to go out by themselves. Yeah, a few years away. Yeah, <laughs> being that they're, they're younger now. You can have pencil. Okay, thank you. Okay, when you come back. Um, but like before they, they get to, you know, go out on those trips by themselves, they're going to have to know how to break a wrist grab, how yeah, to break a bear hug, for how, to, sure. how to break a choke. And uh, I mean, Ava came to one of the, the kids' classes that you were doing and yeah. Logan has some hook hands and he likes to go around and punch things. So I'm kind of slowly getting them involved. Yeah. But beyond that, like even like you're saying how your urban tactics is how to survive, you know, in the urban world in life. When it gets to the point that they're driving, yeah. Ava's not going to be able to go out and drive until she knows how to change a tire. Yeah. Until she knows how to check some oil. Until yeah. she knows how to test a battery. Yeah. And that's that's one of those things that I guess maybe just the kind of gentle generation that kind of I grew up in. Yeah. And the um, I used to work on my my cars in Australia. And uh, okay, Logan over here. And I've always been very kind of I'm a carpenter now. Yeah. I know how to change a washer. I know how to new, do basic plumbing, low voltage electrical, that sort of thing. And it's it's a situation where I'm, I, I want to pass that on to my kids so they're not so dependent on, I don't want to say other people. Other people yeah. But like I said, if, if you can't change a tire, yeah. what are you doing driving a car? Well, we're going to have self-driving cars soon, so it won't matter. <laughs> the, the tires are still going to go flat and someone's yeah. still going to need to change them. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want, if you want to go out into the world, it would be fantastic if the world was perfect, but, but it's, it's just not. It, it's just not. Yeah. So you know, well, I think that's a lot of people live in ideological worlds where the world is perfect, 
and you can't tell them that it's not. Or you can legislate people into being into being a good person. Yeah, you can make that does a law. Not work. That this is illegal, <laughs> so people won't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. and that's that's the debate in Canada with the gun thing is it's gotten so political by our leadership at this point, and they don't even they don't even care what the average Canadian thinks. In their minds, it's the solution to solve all problems. Yeah, well. And it's like, even the RCMP are like, that's not the solution. Taking people's guns away, banning guns, or restricting it more is not the problem in Canada. Like, let's just stick to Canada, not other countries. Yeah, Banning more guns won't solve the problem. The gun statistics show that most guns used in crimes related to gang violence, which is pretty bad in Montreal and Toronto because the governments have done nothing to really combat the violence come illegally across the border from America, yeah, like Detroit or places like that. So, which is kind of the flip side to America uh, to Australia, where yeah. you have we had one mass shooting, the yeah. Port Arthur massacre, or in, like New Zealand now. Yeah, and I can't believe she got reelected. Unbelievable. Just, oh, I believe she got reelected, but basically, John Howard was like, "Yeah, it's time to take away some guns." Yeah, and the vast majority of Australians were like. Yeah, all right. I probably don't need this. Gun. Now they regret it. <laughs> no, not really. No, I've heard. I've heard people say they did. Uh, might have been some small sections of uh, of the country that did, but I know farmers. Uh, I had a friend that was a farmer who had a pretty bad rabbit problem. Yeah, and he wanted a pump action shotgun. Yeah, and he had to get the local cop down to have a look at his situation, and it. It wasn't that he couldn't get it, but it was just a bit of a process yeah. for him to get it. And they were like, all right, yeah, this this seems like it's it's, yeah. it's warranted. Yeah. Uh, funny thing is, there's a bunch of different gun licenses you can get in Australia. One of them is a collector's license. Yeah. If you get a collector's license, you can have anything. You can yeah. have a 50 caliber machine gun. You can have a minigun yeah. if you've got a collector's license. But a part of getting a collector's license is... You need a gun safe that has a whatever they call it. Like it takes an hour to break into it, yeah. and that gun safe has to have a, a wireless alarm that's linked to the local police station. Yeah. So you can get it, but you need the right license. You need the right and money. Check, you need that and money and all this kind of stuff. I like guns. Yeah. I I. I like action movies. I like Schwarzenegger movies. If I could go down to my local gun range and rent an AK-47 and just blow off a bunch of rounds, yeah, I would be happy. Yeah. Now, do I think I need to own one and keep it in my house personally? No. Yeah. No, I don't think I don't think that's necessary. My argument towards guns is the same argument to do with freedom of speech. Uh, Stop. Recently on Rogan, they had the no. ACLU lawyer. In there. ACLU yeah. lawyer who defended, he's Jewish, and he defended the neo-Nazis' Ooh, right to protest whatever dumbass shit they believe. Yeah. And he was saying, the reason why you need freedom of speech, he's like, he said, like, I don't like Trump, blah, 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 blah. A lot of Jews think he's, like, the Antichrist, and I'm like, I think you guys are going to get blindsided by the real Antichrist if you think fucking Trump is the bad thing for the Jews, you fucking Speaking crazy people. Speaking of Antichrist, Marilyn Manson's been dropped by his record label and a bunch of other people yeah. because of Evan, Evan Rachel Wood. Oh, yeah, yeah that whole mention. That <laughs> anyway. Um, but the argument he makes about freedom of speech is not about whether you agree with them or not. It's about... 
what if the people you don't like get in power and you've yeah. made the laws saying you can't have a voice now? Now the people you don't like are in power. The same argument is for guns. What happens if the people you don't like come in and they want to take over your life? They want to control you in a way that we're not there yet. It feels yeah. like we're going in that direction, but we're not there yet. Yeah. You need guns because guns are what prevent governments from easily overtaking you. I have a overall. Slight- I have a slightly different view of that. I think maybe if you're talking about somewhere like Russia. In Russia. In Russia. Maybe that makes a little bit of sense. But your average American, your average Canadian, your average Australian soldier is your average American, Australian, or Canadian. Yeah. I think if Trudeau or Jacinta Ardern or... Oh, the military won't support that. Yeah, no. If if they really went to the point that they're going to... The military is going to say no. Well, that kind of happened in America with Nancy Pelosi, where she basically tried to get the military to do an actual coup. And they're like, ma'am, that's a coup. We're not doing that. (laughs) And, you know, that's my argument against the whole Trump had the nuclear football. It's like, no, he didn't. Do you know how many people like there's more? It's more than one person who clicks that button. Yeah, he doesn't just have a button. They're not letting him do it. Okay, get over it. Stop bringing that up. He has to press a button. Somebody else has to press a button. That button, then those buttons then light up a light in another bunker. Those two people then have to yeah. both see that light, confer with their CO, then type in a code, then someone else. Yeah, I just couldn't understand that. Oh, he's got the nuclear football. I mean, hypothetically but not really i mean in the cuban missile crisis it was a russian subcaptain that basically said the order says what i didn't get this order that's literally what happened and stopped the fucking have you ever seen a movie called 13 days uh maybe maybe not it's uh got uh kevin costner and i can't remember who plays the the cubans in it uh, all about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and they interlace it very well with actual archival footage of what went on. Yeah, it was released in the mid '90s. Really good movie. Yeah, when Kevin Costner was like the it guy, that relevant, they also yeah. really hated him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's people's perceptions of the world around them are often based in nothing, or based in disillusion, or based in non-reality or non-facts. And, and it's, that's it's, kind of the beauty and the issue with the internet. It's the truth, and it's a bunch of crazy people. Yeah, like the internet is fantastic in the sense that I live in Canada. I can video chat with my parents in Australia. We can get access to all sorts of information instantaneously, like actual scientists sharing knowledge, piggybacking on each other. It's fantastic. The downside is the nine crazy people in the world that think the you know color purple is the antichrist can all find each other yeah. and create a community Bunch and strengthen their ideas in the fact that the color purple is e- evil yeah. and then create a voice yeah. and then a bunch of other marginalized groups say well we're going to support you if you support us and then all of a sudden there's a larger group of people saying the color purple needs to be outlawed yeah and well you see this with covid is like the hardcore karens versus the hardcore like anti-science people yeah and it's like the mask. I have a few friends who are kind of conspiratorial, and it's like, mask is this, and I'm like, okay, first of all, masks. They, they, as a general rule, they can't hurt per se. Yeah, am there's, I, a, there's no downside yeah, to a mask. Am I a fan of mandatory? Ma- not particularly, but I'm not gonna like throw a crazy shit fit over. I, it. I don't see it as an invasion of my personal rights. Now, with that being said, there is actually no substantial evidence. 
to say that these mask mandates are going to stop the spread of this thing in, in a significant way. Yeah. Does it, if I'm going to be interacting with someone for like 15 minutes, it's, it's probably a good idea to wear a mask. Mm. But the moment you're around someone all day, it's, it doesn't really matter. I find that really funny with daycare. Kids don't wear masks at daycare yeah. because you're not going to get a four-year-old to wear a mask all day. Yeah. The teachers don't wear masks around the kids yeah. because that just doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I have to wear a mask to go and pick up my kids from daycare. Yeah. But as you just saw, my kids are all up in my grill twenty four seven. Yep, you're very home. very hyper kids for sure. So if I've got it, chances, or normal, I guess. Yeah, if I've got it, chances are they've got it. Chances are they're getting into their other kids at school. Yeah. And I know people have said, you know, that COVID doesn't affect children as much. But I just find it kind of funny that like the teachers wear masks when they give the kids back to me at the yeah. end of the day. You know, I have to wear a mask when I pick it up. But inside the daycare, they don't wear masks. And inside at home, we don't wear masks. So if I've got it, my wife's got it, my kids have probably got it. So they're giving it to the other kids at daycare who are giving it to the teachers. And I get how the idea of masks and, you know, safety bubbles and cohorts and whatnot can, and regionally can, I get the idea of how that can work. But in reality, like I... I, I, I don't see how the two minutes or less I spend with the teachers at daycare when I say, hey, how you going? Was it good today? Awesome. All right. Have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. From four to six feet away. Yeah. I mean, really from my understanding, again, with the, on the mask issue, I have a bit more knowledge than average due to my background in occupational health and safety where we spent a lot of time on the issue of masks. So I do have some basis from saying it. My understanding is you know, for short-term exposures, again, it's it's okay. But beyond that, it doesn't make a damn difference because yeah. they don't create an actual full seal around, seal, yeah. which is the only way to really prevent a uh, true spread of it. Yeah. And people talk about the idea that... He's it's, over there. Uh, the It's the moisture droplets and, yeah. and Trudeau's don't speak moistly. Oh, that was hilarious. To people. Um, Global it, clown that he is. Yeah, and it, it, it's those, those droplets of moisture that they're trying to protect against. And I un- I understand that, that yes, masks will stop that. The, the funny thing I find about the anti-mask... Oh, God, someone needs to go to bed. Someone's in trouble. The funny thing I find about the anti-maskers are like, this is against my constitutional rights. I'm like, you're wearing pants, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're a bit. You know, I'm somewhat convinced. Like, again, there's no evidence that mask mandates are going to slow the spread of this thing. But as a general rule, they are pretty good. If I'm going to go around grandma, I'm going to wear a mask because they're vulnerable. Yeah, and like I said, there's, but there's, as a day to day basis, it's like, do I really need to? You know, the example locally is that literally people have taken pictures of like a thousand people in a shopping mall where you're shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And businesses can't run. And it's like the government is just like, we don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong. And that's the other thing. Like, like, what are you I, talking about, one you of crazy the people? dumbest ideas was, we're going to close down all these small businesses. We're only opening a Walmart. Yeah. Well, if you had all of these small greengrocers open, surely wouldn't that mean there's less people in Walmart? Therefore, person, people per square foot would, like that ratio would be no, bigger. No, so that actually... These people are morons. I'm sorry. They're just morons. Locally, first, early on the COVID thing, we got made fun of globally in our province because they said 
appropriate sexual activities is glory holes and yes. stuff like oh, that. God. And it made international news because everyone thought it was insane. You're like crazy people. There uh, was a lot of glory hole memes going around. And then they, in recent New Year's, they decided we're going to shut down alcohol sales early, two or three like hours. Like 9 o'clock, yeah. Thinking it's somehow a good idea because if we stop, and, and this has been mimicked globally, and it's just like, this is people who are nerds who don't understand human beings. Maybe they're autistic and think these rules will make sense. And it's like someone politely pointed out after the fact that alcohol sales went up in a condensed time period which meant more people were lining up closer to each other than they would have if you just left it alone, thinking that, well, if we stop people buying alcohol earlier, they're not going to get as drunk and break the rules as much. No, they're going to buy more earlier, get closer to each other, and get even drunker now because they have more to start with. Have you never called last drinks at a bar? Yeah, everyone just goes panic There's always a line at the bar. You're basically getting most politicians in North America, I don't know about other countries, we're lawyers or they're nerds. Our health expert seems like a nice person outside of this whole disaster. She doesn't belong in politics. She just is not. She was praised early on for reasons I don't think she deserves credit for. I think it was other factors that you can't measure. She was very reassuring. Yeah, she was nice. And as soon as they got a majority government in this province, they just went full on ham with their ridiculous policies that make no sense. You know, I've had uh, back and forth with some of my local uh, political representatives, and they're bought on. When they don't know how to answer what you're saying, they're just like, they're following scientific method. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> like, no, they're not. And they, they're not going to be so rude as to be like, are you an expert? Which is an appeal to authority, and it's a bad logic argument anyway. Darwin is right, for example, and everyone else who studied longer than him has been wrong. He's been consistently right because he's smarter than you, so go to hell. I don't care if you've been spending your whole life doing something. You can still be stupid and you can still be wrong. Um, and their policies are just based. Just being people who are in politics, they just don't have enough worldly experience to make an understand to account for the general like. That doesn't work because humans don't work like that. You clowns. It's, it's the same sort of thing as you get those people that go to high school. Then they go to university, yeah. and then they do a master's, and then they become a lecturer, and they have no. And they've real... never left the bubble. Yeah, they've they've never left the education system at all, and then they those people then try and dictate what happens in the real world. Yeah, and you're like, well, and I, I've had this argument with uh, with people for various other things. One of the one of the bars I worked at in Perth was uh, it was a little inner city bar. It was right in the heart of the CBD Central Business District for Perth, so right in the heart of downtown. Not like CBD and like the weed thing. No, no, no. Yeah, we, we don't have a downtown in in Perth. We have a CBD, mm. a Central Business District. So this uh, this particular bar was across the road from and within like a two minute walking distance of probably three of the better cocktail bars in Perth. And I was the assistant manager there, and this particular bar was owned by uh, a group, uh, brothers, and they had a bunch of regional, like, suburban pubs. And I went to a, a manager's meeting there, and they are like, we're going to uh, standardize our cocktail list across all venues. We're mm. going to make it easy. We're going to... And they owned liquor stores. They're very smart businessmen. They were like, we're streamlining everything. And they had a like five suburban pubs and everyone was like oh yep yep sound good and i kind of stuck my hand up i'm like he's not gonna work for where we are and you're fired <laughs> we're not quite now like what do you mean i'm like i'm across the road from two of the best cocktail bars in perth if i'm not offering 
something close to what they're providing, we're going to get no business on a yeah. Friday, Saturday night. And they're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe your venue can do something different. I mean, I'm not the best cocktail bartender. But bar- what about my venue? Yeah, I'm not the best cocktail bartender in the world, but I'm decent. And it was they, they were trying to offer the most generic, low-ball, simple, uninteresting... Well, high-balls only. Yeah, and, and I was like, no, I, these guys are offering their, their you know barrel-aged custom cocktails. They're offering, you know, custom syrups that they're doing, like like really complicated, interesting shit. I'm like, I can't be serving, a, you know, Bacardi Mojito yeah. and expect to compete with these people. It's it's not going to happen. You know, I, to be, let's talk locally on that topic. Well, I'm not going to go to New York anytime soon, but New York, a dirty, filthy city with lots of history. I can walk into any piece of shit dive bar. Their bartender can make Anything you want, they know how to bartend. I walk into a bar here that's not a specialty bar and you ask for anything off menu, they look at you like you're nuts. And it's like, dude, the bartending and restaurant standards in this city are such shit because the expectations are so low and you just have to go somewhere like New York or I guess LA. I haven't been to LA as much. Funny thing, Japanese bartenders fucking amazing well japanese culture is about perfection so yeah no they they hence your japanese whiskey (laughs) hayabiki suntory it's uh the japanese harmony this is one of my favorite japanese whiskeys so smooth you could drink it on a warm summer's day and it would still be refreshing how much is it a bottle that's the question uh that one's not too bad that's about 60 or 80 a bottle see i will take my proper 12 connor whiskey Mm. every time because of the price it tastes it's pretty similar to this, I think, honestly. Uh, so well, this is a little smoother. I, I would argue that on a few points. For my, I'm not a connoisseur, yeah, by the from, way, from my whiskey nerd days. Yeah. Um, I've also got a bottle of uh, Nika Coffee Malt, which is another Japanese whiskey. That's a 500 miller that goes for about 80 bucks a bottle. Yeah. So we can, we can crack into that in a minute. But back <laughs> to my point, yeah. Um, Japanese bartenders, fucking amazing. They train them to be efficient. They train them to be clean. I was at... Uh, Irish pub in Perth in the casino. Irish pub, it was it was a kind of a franchise. It was called Paddy O'Hannon's. It was, you know, walked up to the bartender. It's like, can I have a rum and coke and a screwdriver? And the girl behind the bar looks at me, deadpan. We don't do cocktails. Yeah. Right. A rum and coke they wouldn't even do? No, they did the rum. It's like, oh. can I have a vodka and orange? I can do that. I'm like, yeah. you don't know that a screwdriver is a rum and orange? Yeah. I, like, sorry, a screwdriver is a vodka and orange? Yeah. What are you doing behind a bar? Yeah. There's like the, 20, 30 standard sort of international drinks you should yeah. know how to make. Exactly. Like, if you can't make... Like, um, I can't because I don't do it, but I know that you should. Yeah, if you're a bartender <laughs> and you can't make a martini, a mojito, a screwdriver, a margarita, like a caprioska, what are yeah. you doing behind a bar? Like, it's... And again... There's a few bars here, like the Diamond. Yeah. Uh, Row Dunnett. Yeah, where... There's a few I've been to where you can... I've asked for custom, like, what do you feel like? Make me something custom. Yep. And they can do it. But that's like the specialty bars here. See, I used to do that for customers at the restaurants and the bars I yeah. worked at. Like, you know, and I'd, I'd get bored on a night where it wasn't too busy. And you get people come to the bar and like, can I have this? I'm like, what are you looking for? What are yeah. your favorite flavors? Give me two flavors and give me like a creamy, a sweet, a sour, a, you know, a fizzy, and I'll make you something. So with that being said, you could probably be a better bartender than 99% of the ones here. <laughs> I don't want to say that out loud, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's certainly a skill. Um, 
I once got told by somebody that my uh, fuck I've had too much whiskey I'm drunk <laughs> uh, yeah no my Singapore sling was just as good as the one that they had in the Raffles Hotel in Singapore in Singapore yeah my partner lived in Singapore for a bit we want to go there one day and figure it out but right now no go no all travels pretty much off for the next I'm probably through 2022 at least I think. Yeah, I think my parents or my mom at least is probably due to come here next, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah. Now, luckily, despite our authoritarian dickhead of a leader, they're not going to make vaccines mandatory in Canada. Yeah. But, which I like. I, I'm not anti-vax. Yeah. Not anti-vax. That was too long a conversation to have right now. But the mandatory aspect of it for this particular virus makes no sense to me. It's not polio, so stop comparing it to polio. It's not comparable to polio. Yeah. It's not one of those other viruses or diseases. It's something completely different. The mortality rate is far too small. Well, it's not even that. Um, you can't have zero flu infections all of a sudden. You, yeah. you, did you know that the, it's a, they're all coronaviruses? So what they're doing is they're not lying. They're saying the coronavirus infection rate is X. They're misrepresenting. And there's no flu viruses. But there's all the coronaviruses. The flu is a coronavirus. And then they misrepresent it, and then they can pass a lie detector test if they were, because they're not technically lying. But to the average person, it sounds like something it's not. And then I'm like, hold on a second, that's impossible. The flu doesn't just... And they're like, well, it's because the coronavirus has been around earlier, and the flu, and this and that. I mean, the flu's around all year round. It's just worse in certain times of the year. So you're lying. No, because they could pass a lie detector test because yeah. they're not technically lying, but for practical senses, they are lying. Side note, that defense doesn't work with your wife. Which one? The not technically oh, yeah, yeah. lying, but... I'm not technically lying, but... Or I am, you know... Yeah, also the I'm really sorry you're upset, but I'm not wrong defense also doesn't work. <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet now. <laughs> Look, I'm really sorry you're upset. Are you sorry for what you said? No, I'm just sorry you're upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it can't be an I learned you can't say things in a way that people feel attacked. And it's like even if someone is completely in the wrong, because they haven't managed their ego, you're not allowed to point out. So my my thing about that is a simple one, yet complicated. People can't fix their personality problems if nobody tells them what they're doing wrong. That includes myself because I, you know, I'm a character, and what I my thing is I didn't have mentorship, and nobody took me seriously enough to mentor me, and so even if my behavior was out of line for other people, nobody told me what the problem was. They just said you're behaving wrong, and it's like, yeah, but what do I have to do? Well, that's not my problem. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. And so that's tell me what I need to fix. For any employee, any person, anyone out there, I've been a manager, I've been, I've hired and fired, I've got, I've got kids, I've been a father. If you have a problem, tell someone in charge because yeah. if they don't know that there's a problem, they can't fix it. Yeah, and if they can't fix it past that, they probably shouldn't be in management, which is where a lot of unfortunately yeah, or, 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 or shouldn't be in charge. But yeah, yeah. but. Don't sit around and wait for a problem to miraculously solve itself. Because then you get Fukushima. Yeah. <laughs> if you have an issue with an employee, a coworker, a person, uh, something, if you have an issue, tell the person above you. Because chances are 
they don't know it's there because they're not in your position. And if they do and they start yelling at you, it's time to find a new job because they're a dickhead, probably. Or go over their head or... Yeah. There's options. And I've discussed that uh, sometimes you do need to go overhead. And when you do go over their head, if you hit a roadblock and then you go over their head again, the next level, and then nobody seems to care, it's like you need to decide whether you want to just check out emotionally and keep doing the thing you're doing or whether you want to find something else to do. Right? You know, it's like I... I'm critical of Jocko Willink's extreme ownership. He's right and he's wrong. He's well, he's another one of those people that he's an exception to the rule. Yes, but it's like the military is just fundamentally different structurally than civilian world. And if you don't fit in the military, you're gone. It's actually a lot easier to get rid of a shithead in the military than it is in a lot of the civilian world because of politics, because of unions, because of this, because of that. Government workers, largely mediocre shitheads who don't belong doing what they're doing, you can't get rid of them. Teachers, a lot of them don't belong there. In the military, you fuck up, you're gone. And so the extreme ownership model is, and I, I think is idealistic based on the fact that everyone takes responsibility now, in a military world, it's better. And I've, I, in fact, I think that's why Israeli military does better is because the individual soldier has a lot more freedom to make a decision that could yeah. change a war than in American military where you'll be court-martialed for doing it outside of protocol. But in the Israeli, you just do it to win or do it because it's the right decision in the moment. And as long as it was reasonably moral, you're fine in Israel. You do could be as moral as fuck in the, in the American army, you're going to get court-martialed. Well, it's exactly the same. I was telling that story about those Australian SS soldiers. Yeah. If they decided to do the right thing, jump in, they don't know what the outcome would have been, but there would have been consequences. Israeli soldiers, not that they're deployed like that, but if they were, would have jumped in yeah. because of the way they, they think and move. Here comes the other child. Um, uh, sorry, where was I before that? Uh, easy to get rid of someone in the military. Yeah, and so extreme ownership works if everybody has the attitude of extreme ownership. But let's say we go into a corporation where we don't have extreme ownership and yeah. the management is not taking ownership. And in general, everyone is not taking ownership. You're just going to go crazy trying to instill that mentality uh, into everybody. And that comes back to what you're talking about with um, Fukushima and, and even the coronavirus in, in China. Yeah. Well, no, I don't want to tell anyone. I want to own it because I'll get fired. I'll get shamed. I'll get whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that's... China's a little worse than that. But yeah. yeah. And that's something that I... I mean, I struggle with even on a day-to-day thing. Like, I... I don't want to do myself out of business, but I'm not the best carpenter in the world. Yeah. I've only been doing this for a couple of years. You say that, you're probably you're better than me. Yeah. For sure. I I am very confident what I know I can do and if I'm trying to sell you a product, then I'm confident that I can deliver that product. But I'm not the I'm not the greatest carpenter in the world. And I work with a guy who is he's pretty good. He's been doing He's a master, you could reasonably say. Well, he's been doing it since he was sixteen and yeah. he's in his mid thirties. Yeah. So he he's he's damn good at what he does and he it's, he, it's he, mastery level reasonably. Yeah. He knows what's going on. And I find this is a double edged sword for me. Because I'm older, I tell someone I'm a carpenter and then I they assume I've been doing this since I'm a sixteen and yeah. they're like, Oh awesome, I'm gonna yeah, you can do whatever you want. But at the same time, people think because I'm older or people I work with think because I'm older, I should be better than I am. And for instance, today I was building a top wall on a house, big wall, big long wall, and I did the whole thing myself. 
and at the end of the towards the end of the day my my foreman was like this this wall realistically should have been done probably an hour ago yeah i'm like all right i get it if i need to be working faster you tell me i need to work faster if i need to be working more efficient give me some tips tell me what i'm doing but let's face it i've only been doing this for a couple of years and if this wall is good quality and you know we'll stand the test of time and everything is done perfectly and nicely and i'm an hour behind all right remember i'm a guy that's you know i'm still an apprentice yeah yeah no i've had that like i i can do the stuff i can build i've been in and out of construction on and off but i don't have the experience and i'll do it i'm going to take a a lot longer than another one but that's because i don't want to screw it up yeah seriously and if I do, I can fix it. It's going to take longer, but that's the learning process. And a lot of people, you know, you can blame Amazon. I want it now. There's a, who's that? There's this Asian comedian, Singaporean comedian, I believe. He's just like. Oh, did a show. It's not maybe Jackie something or Joe. I don't know. He's just like, I want it now. Put it, put it in my mouth now. I want to hit the button order and I want, I want it in my mouth now. Yeah. And it's just like, that's how everyone is nowadays. And it's like, no, we need to like develop the skills like anything and you know in bc we have uh workers compensation which as an organization they're inefficient and incompetent but uh they have implemented certain things like legal requirements that you need to train young workers and it's like that's that's very good how about we just train new workers not just young Young workers new workers because the law protects if you don't train people 16 to like 20 something properly you're liable as a company and i'm like that should apply to all new workers australia had a thing oh, probably about 15 years oh shit maybe 20 years ago now god i'm old <laughs> uh mature age apprenticeships yeah and it was designed at getting people 45 and older into a trade and it, it was kind of looking at people that had maybe lost their job to technology maybe that's going almost... to happen more and more and more and the answer is not learn to code because these people are not going to do that i don't know if you know what i'm talking about yeah but... yeah yeah <laughs> um but and it was it was yeah mature age apprenticeships and that was there was a whole a big push for that um funny you say that though i'm doing a side project for a, a couple at the moment out in white rock and to be honest i'm probably going to go over quoted budget yeah but they seem very happy with that because i was talking to them the other day lovely couple very friendly cook me meals yeah i'm there saturday sunday cook me meals for lunch every every day that i'm there i might just have to stretch this out for months because food <laughs> is good um but i said to them the other day i was like oh look a couple of things have happened this is taking longer than i thought you know it's i'm i might go a little bit over he's like oh look it's if it goes over that's fine i looked out there you guys are always checking to make sure things are square you're always leveling things up so you know i'd rather you do it properly sort of thing so and that's the flip side to that i want it now 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 uh. these people are paying for quality uh, and they don't mind that if I'm going over budget a little bit because they know that I'm giving them quality. And this is this was initially they contacted me and said, Oh, we've got a little uh a little pergola on about half of our deck and we're we're looking to try and get that covered. Can yeah. you come out and give us a quote? And I looked at it originally and it was about a I don't know, let's say maybe twelve by fourteen little open pergola and I was like, all right, I can I'm gonna have to shore this up. Maybe about three grand and I can get this I can get this covered for you and I can get this looking good. They wanted yeah. to go with shingle roof. And I'm like, all right. And then they came to Acre and they said, Oh, what if we what if we wanted to cover the whole thing? And yeah. I'm like, all right, well that's it's gonna be more expensive and this and I'm like, oh if we what if we wanted to go with like some some raw cedar 
and some exposed timbers. <laughs> and this, like, I and the price goes up and up and up. And I was a bit worried when I gave him the first quote that I gave him like three and a half grand. I'm like, oh, shit, this seems a lot for what they want. Maybe I've scared them off. And then they came back to me with all these additions, and this is now probably a fifteen thousand dollar project. Yeah. Yeah, and beyond that, I haven't even finished yet, and they want me to do a mantle in their house, and they want me to wrap their kitchen island. Oh, can you do this? It's going to cost this much. Why? Because it, you know, skill and time and this. And that's the thing; these people have no issue with paying for quality. Yeah, and and like that's great for me. And there, I actually got this job because I did a job for someone else that they know, and that's you know the whole the whole free market economy. I like to circle back because probably should get going soonish. about the quality of like training and time, apprenticeship, yes. Krav Maga, self-defense, martial arts. If you want to get good at it, it is an 8 to 15 year process. Any style, regardless. Yeah. End of story, full stop. And, and you, know, you will pay for quality. Yeah. You can go to a McJojo and you can get a yeah. belt and it might not cost you much. Yeah. But it might not be worth anything. But if if you want to be proficient, if you want to actually be able to execute self-defense or ring fighting or whatever you military police whatever you're looking to do you you need to pay for that quality and and i think you know we talked a little bit the detachment of violence in a lot of western places and cities not all of them like vancouver is really safe compared to like london or new york or something like that it creates a false view of well i want to learn quick karma guys easy to learn super easy yeah compared to jiu-jitsu it's super easy to learn you're still not achieving mastery until you've been doing it 10 years or 20 years yeah, and or that's whatever. A, yeah, and that's the thing. Like the, the concept of an inside defense yeah. where you parry the fist of a straight punch away and move off the line. Super simple. Yeah. Good luck doing it under duress until you've been doing it a long time. Exactly. And, and that's the kind of thing. Like you need to be doing that hundreds of thousands of times before that becomes muscle memory, before that becomes and, instinct. And even then, like, the the way I teach is based on generics. Might actually not be how I react in a real-world situation because what I'm teaching is the generic works for most people most of the time. And that that's yeah. what you want in, in yeah. general self-defense terms. Yeah. Works for most people most of the yeah. time. If you want to learn shushu, kakumban, karate, <laughs> dismissal, like, if you want to learn that and you want to learn something super specific... Yeah, go ahead and do it. And that and this is where I think the word art belongs in martial arts. If you want to learn something like that, go ahead. And I, I can understand how something like that is an art form. But you're going to spend, like you said, 10 to 15 to 20 years learning yeah, it. Yeah. But it may not work if some punk pulls a knife on you in the street and moves in a way you're not used yeah. to. Speaking of Australians, because I had a similar conversation with... Uh Paul from uh, from Australia. Paul from Australia. I know him. There's, no, there's only one Paul. I did Australia. the podcast. I'm <laughs> totally blanking on his name. Oh, the uh, Paul Johnson. There we go. Yes, yeah, so then Jitsu Krav. Well, he does Jitsu yeah, yeah. and Krav. Yeah, and all my this brother, stuff. I think, worked with him when he was Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like comparing. Yeah, I think I was talking about. He didn't want to like be too, but it's a, he's a Jitsu guy, but he learned Krav in practical military application. Yeah. And you can tell there's. Well, this is good, but, but that guy. You don't want to mess with him. Yeah. Like when I train with him, it's like he's just big and you can't move him <laughs> and he's going to kill you. <laughs> yes. But yeah. But yeah, no, uh, it's been like almost four hours. So. Oh, Jesus, yeah. that long? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the whiskey. I 
probably get going soon. Any any final parting wisdom from Evan? Wisdom. One one thing that I actually did want to want to sort of get into this podcast was I think for anyone that is is starting on a martial arts journey or anyone that's interested or anyone that's maybe partway through, one of the things that I found kind of during my my kind of career, so to speak, was there was very specific stages I found. There was when I first started, I was I was a young guy. I had two older brothers. I used to wrestle and fight with them. I thought, oh yeah, you know, I can fight. I can. I've been fighting bigger guys, older guys. Oh, I can defend myself. You know, I think I'm all right. And then I went into a, a gym that was a martial arts gym, and I realized really quickly, I know fuck all. Yep. Jesus Christ, am Smashed. I am I unprepared for? anything unless it's my older brother trying to mug me i am fucked yeah and then i learned like three things yeah. and i'm like fuck yeah i can kick ass i'm i'm john wick i'm fucking rambo let's <laughs> i'm gonna tell everyone i know that i know krav maga and i'm gonna show well, a them, lot of people do that <laughs> and i'm gonna show them this one technique it's like in jessica jones like, the chick that did that though i know krav maga yes <laughs> the, the blonde. she's actually australian is she uh, yeah uh, she was on Home and Away. Yeah. yeah and I'm like, oh, I'm going to show them the one technique I know, and they're going to be fucking scared of me. This yeah. is going to be awesome. Just kick them in the heart, and that's hard. And and that's I was I like, do. yeah, my confidence shot through the fucking roof. And then with KMG, or my school at least, you didn't do any like sparring until after P1, which is yeah. your first grade and your first belt level. And then I started sparring, and I'm like, holy It fuck. changes everything. I know, fuck all. Jesus Christ, these people can kick me up and down the street five ways to Sunday. Holy shit, I was wrong. Yeah. I don't want to get into a fight. Yep. And then I progressed, and I got better, and it got to the point where I was very proficient, and I was holding my own. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't really want to get into a fight. Yep. And that was, like you said, go back that whole point of, the anatomy of violence and understanding violence and what people are willing to do and what people are capable of and what I understood. And you, you hear this, I don't know if this is a big thing in North America, but it was a big thing in Australia. You get these big, you know, jock kind of guys like, oh, no, I don't want to get a fight. I'll, I'll probably kill him. Yeah. You know? Kind of that big, you know, bravado of like, oh, I'm, I'm so good. And but will you though? But will you though? But I equated not so much that bravado back to I don't want to get into a fight because he might be better than me, yeah. and I might resort to gouging his eye out or kicking him in yeah, the side. Yeah, I don't want to deal knee. with the police and all and that shit. That is very serious consequences. Yeah, and I like I I'm very scared of getting into a knife fight, yeah. and not specifically because I think I'm going to get stabbed, even though I probably will. But a lot of the techniques that I've learned or trained bring the knife back very closely to the person that once wielded it. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to stab someone yeah. to death. Yeah. So, Willingness to be violent is different than people think. Yes. Think. And that's one thing I find is very specific. I, If I run into somebody on the street or in the restaurant or the bar or the pub, I am more afraid or more cautious of somebody that gives off the impression they are willing to fight. Yeah. They're willing to do violence. They're willing to just scratch your eyes out until they're unconscious. 
as opposed to someone that walks around and you can tell you know, this this guy can probably fight this guy's probably trained i've looked at the way he moves he probably knows what he's doing i'm less afraid of that person than i am of the average guy that just seems like he's on crack he's job, and yeah. doesn't care crazy beats big and he, yeah and he's just willing to go for it yep and that's i think those kind of stages of my martial arts journey was you think you're okay you realize you're nothing yeah you think you've got something and then you realize you have so much more to learn and then you realize that you know what this is great but i don't want to do this unless i have to yeah so i would sum it up as uh learn violence understand violence respect violence but learn to walk in peace Yes. And as Amy said, so one can walk at peace. And that is, again, this whole point of this podcast was originally going to be my journey into fatherhood. There's no mandatory anything. Yeah. Just go with the flow. Go with the flow. But yeah, it went from me being a young 20-somethings guy that wants to be John Wick and Rambo rolled into one and, you know, Rick Grimes my way through the zombie apocalypse to I've got a wife and kids and I want to make sure they're fucking looked after. And you know what? If some guy fronts up to me on the street and calls me a dickhead and a weakling and a retard and a poofter and fucking whatever, whatever, very, uh, very regional, <laughs> yeah, whatever, mate, just I'm going to walk away because you're not worth my time, yep. and it's not worth me punching you in the face and getting cut on your teeth and getting your blood in me and then having to go to a fucking AIDS test yeah. because it's just not worth it when yep. I can walk away and you think you've won. And I can walk away with my family and say, that guy was fucking crazy and he was a retard and I don't need to prove myself to him or yeah. anybody else. Sounds about right. Learn to walk away and only fight if you have to. So. Exactly. But if you have to fight, fight to win. Yep. I think that's a good place to leave it. <laughs> I probably got to get going soon. Where are you? Anyways, thanks for joining and uh, hopefully see you back in class when we're able to. Exactly. Looking forward to it. Bye. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions.